Hello and welcome to the Back Page, a video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how does it feel to be recording a podcast in a temperature that can be described as reasonable to the human body of a larger (laughs) male? (laughs) <laughs> wonderful wonderful actually i could hear sweating when i was editing the ace attorney podcast <laughs> it was it was so gross <laughs> didn't you say that we were like you were we were kind of had the cadence of people who are on the stand in ace attorney about to sort of like um <laughs> flip and lose our shit um, yeah every yeah. sentence ended with a dot 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 as we waited for the uh the wig to fly off whatever it yeah. might be yeah <laughs> Okay, wonderful. Well, yeah, so we recorded three podcasts in um, Britain's heatwave, and we're pleased to be doing it on a more uh, a more reasonable day, essentially. So this episode, as um, people listening will know, we've done a few sort of quite big deep dive episodes lately. Matthew had to carry both Phoenix Wright and Zelda, um, which was a lot to ask of him, and um, <laughs> 2009 was uh, a big one too. So this episode, much more straightforward. We don't do much talking about the stuff we've been playing this year um so this podcast is all about that basically they don't have to mm. be games from this year but it's just the stuff we've been playing matthew did you enjoy being able to audit what you've been playing this year i'd say a lot of the stuff i've played has bubbled up on the podcast and in fact the podcast has shaped a lot of what i have played weirdly but yeah it's a weird weird year so i'm kind of in- intrigued to see you know how that's sort of reflected in both of our habits yeah let's start with that because this year so far is what it was always going to be which is inevitably a lesser year for big games we always knew the pandemic would catch up this year and not last year because you know when it comes to blockbuster game development the things get pushed back by the pandemic is stuff like motion capture and things like that so developers have to find solutions to that stuff also you know some developers are bound to be as productive sort of during that time but other developers maybe not so much because you mm. know it takes a massive mental health toll to work at home during a pandemic so you know there's a lot of reasons why games might be delayed all of which i think are completely reasonable but what what do you think of 2021 so far do you think it's likely to remember be remembered as a great year for games not massively i think because of the the hit in the kind of triple a space or the delays that are mostly occurring there those games have maybe stepped aside a bit to allow a kind of tier of indie or lesser known kind of games to sort of maybe rise to the surface a bit, maybe get a few more eyes on them than they would usually get, which is a good thing. Whether the quality of those is like noticeably any better than usual, I'm, I'm not getting that vibe so far. That's kind of sort of roughly it for me. It's a different year, not necessarily a better year. Yeah, it's um, not necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, there are you know lots of different sort of um, indie games around still, and there's you know there are still some big releases. Your uh, Hitman Three, your Resident Evil Village, your you know Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Returnal. There's been like some blockbusters, but when you look through, I mean, not that this is like the a barometer of anything really, but the the top twenty of Metacritic definitely feels like more muted than it would normally in a in a normal year. So um, the number one game of the year so far on Metacritic is the the House in Fata Morgana: Dreams of the Revenants Edition at ninety eight percent on Nintendo Switch. Is that 
Is that because it's only just crossed the threshold to be on Metacritic and it just hasn't been reviewed by other people? Uh, yeah, it's had eight reviews. So, okay. you know, but yeah, 98. Um, so, yeah, but um, this happens sometimes. I think there's like one year where Half-Life 2 loses out to like a baseball management sim or something. And it's right. like, that's just how Metacritic works, I guess. And then... Um, that, that, that isn't me saying that had more people reviewed Fatal Morgana, it would be a lower score. And it's meant to be a very good visual novel, but you can easily see it being championed by a few visual novels addicts yeah for sure and so there's that then it's number two is disco elysium the final cut which is a game from another year um microsoft <laughs> flight simulators number three on xbox series x that's a game from another year number four is tony hawk's pro skater one and two again a game from another <laughs> year about uh, well from last year but also a game from like 20 years ago um <laughs> then you get to uh, chicory a colorful tale and um you know no argument from me about uh, that being on there i know a lot of people love it i've not played it yet and then um Mass Effect Legendary Edition, uh, three games from other years. Um, then you get to It Takes Two, which is you know a legit uh, legit choice to, to have up there. I know a lot of people like that, and that might end up being a proper game of the year contender on people's lists this year. But um, mm. then, um, yeah, then you get to FF7 Remake Integrate, a, a game from last year that is a game from 1997. Um, <laughs> then it's Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury, a game from 2013. Oh, um, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, you got another, you got Tony Hawk's on Xbox at number 10. And um, you have to get to number 12 before you get to another original game from this year, which is um, Wildermyth, which I know some of the PC game a lot um, are quite enjoying. So uh, I've not played it yet. But um, mm. yeah, so and then, um, yeah, after that, it's Ratchet and Clank at number 15 uh, with 88. And then Great Ace Attorney Chronicles at number 16. So yes, good old Shutakumi delivering the goods <laughs> again. But again, two games from like five years ago. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I think there's there's plenty of good stuff in there. But yeah, it's. It's feeling very unlikely at this point it's going to be a banner year, just based on the fact that, you know, we know largely what's coming out this year. I mean, we've got Forza Horizon 5, which is a great a godsend, really. That's um... It's it's not a very good fit for, like, the, t- the tastes of this particular podcast. I'm not talking about the individual games. Like, individually, there's been lots of stuff, you know, that I know we've both enjoyed. But I would say a theme of this podcast is kind of, like, some of the weird stuff that happens just under, like, the super mainstream. You know, it's the kind of the magic of the 7 and the 8 out of 10. And they don't seem to really exist this year. Like, it feels like at the end of this year, everyone's going to have played the same games. Like, mm. it's going to be, it's gonna have been quite easy to have played, you know, all the, the new, new, highly rated games. It's, it's not like a lot of stuff's going to slip through the cracks and you'll be like, well, let me help you discover this hidden gem. There's a space to be on top of stuff, which feels quite rare. Yeah, so I don't know about you, Matthew, but I've used this as a year to catch up, like a very, to be honest, a very welcome year to catch up. I could have done this last year, but there were actually loads of new games last year still, and I uh, kind of wasted 2020 by just playing Apex Legends and nothing else. But um, (laughs) this year, I've really enjoyed just knocking off a bunch of big single-player games, so those are the ones I'll focus on this year. How have your habits changed in in this quieter year? Like, due to the nature of the work, you know, because I'm outside of this podcast, this isn't my only... (laughs) my only job (laughs) you know i I freelance and so as has been the case for many years a lot of my game playing is kind of dictated by like what i'm doing for a review and stuff and even though it has been a slower year like there's been like you know regular work and stuff coming in and yeah a lot of that stuff's been dictated by that i've spent a huge amount of time replaying the ace attorney games partly out of just hype for great ace attorney 
partly because it was time, partly because we had this podcast, uh, you know, that we did last week coming up and I wanted to kind of get ahead of it. And, you know, once I played one, I was kind of on that. So, yeah, like, I don't think I've used it to plug any gaps. I've replayed a few things, which, you know, when we talk about the games we've been playing, I, I, I can sort of bring up. But the, the few gaps I have plugged have been quite quite weird niche things i think i'm slightly more on top of new releases than you just because i i you know i still do games sort of full-time as a job yeah i think that's fair like there's a there's still so I, i'll go through a bunch of the stuff i've been playing after this well me and matthew will alternate on games we've been we've been playing this year but i've um still got three like big AAA things from the last generation i want to knock off before things get busy this generation which is right uh, god of war uh, for, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and uh, what was the other one? What is the other one? Oh, Red Dead Redemption Two, which I've still never played. So, um, you know, right, right, yeah, I've played the first chapter of it, but obviously, the, the, those are like three quite chunky games. So, mm. um, but they'll take. I'm sure they'll take up the rest of the year, no problem. And it's not like they're going to be. There's gonna, they're going to have a lot of competition. There's some stuff coming out this year. I definitely want to play like Halo Infinite. Um, maybe I should play the original Psychonauts. I can play Psychonauts Two. That'll be um, that'll be rad. I'm sure. Um, mm. No More Heroes 3 is coming out this year, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, Deathloop, of course, which is our most uh, highly anticipated game on this podcast by <laughs> Miles and Miles. Can't wait to play that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. It's looking like a whole year of catching up for me. And then next year, I think I'll be, I'll be pretty, at that point, I think I would have played pretty much every major game from last generation that I wanted to play. So mm. um, I valued having the chance to catch up. Like you say, it's partly a career thing. I, you know, I work in, I cover entertainment, so I don't. Uh, you know, play games for for reviews. So I, you know, I didn't have time to play sixty five hours of um, Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, but um, you made the time, which I respect. You know, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Matthew, then let's um, talk a little bit about the second half of this year. Then, so is there anything I missed there in terms of the games coming up that we're actually excited about in terms of this podcast and, and our taste? There's a couple of like niche things around the edges. There's that uh, twelve minutes. I'm quite mm. excited for the kind of the time loop murder mystery story. That feels like it should be an Annapurna interactive game. It is. Did you watch their very good live stream the other day? Uh, I didn't. No. Yeah. It's sort of. Um, it's much more tolerable than their lowercase Twitter account. Um, it was uh, full of good stuff. <laughs> I... <laughs> Sorry, they did a tweet about Busted that I saw people saying this is hilarious. Annapurna knocking out the park. It was all like I saw that kind of lowercase like. You know how you you just see it on Twitter. It's kind of like a very affected lowercase Twitter sort of oh, thing. Oh, uh, it's a nightmare because it's harder to write in lowercase because my yeah. phone will auto correct it. I have to go out of my way if I wanted <laughs> to do that. Yeah, if that that's like a, a such an affectation, I'm not I'm not interested, <laughs> frankly. But the um, live stream was excellent. There was loads of good stuff in there. And yes, twelve minutes is one of those. And they got a bunch of um, collaborations coming up with the likes of uh, No Code and Yeah, uh, that's exciting. Yeah, did they? Did they uh, uh, did they say like the nature of that, like what, like what, what it is they're kind of working on? Uh, it's too early, I think, to talk about, but um, it sounded like it's going to be a, a ambitious for them. Each, uh, the last two games have kind of um, escalated in ambition, so um, you know maybe this one will just be uh, like a, like a full blown sort of experience or whatever. But there's also the Outer Wilds um, DLC, Matthew. Kind of hard to imagine what it would be, but based on that game being so kind of self-contained and tightly knit you know the the logic and the of, of the kind of time loop you know you can't just be like here's another planet i don't think that would work so I'm, yeah i'm really intrigued to see if if what they do with it i mean have you played out worlds yeah i played about 
Oh, four or five hours of it twice. Okay. Um, and then I, lo- I forget what the hell's going on with that ancient civilization. And then, right. li- like my own tragic time loop, I have to start the game again. <laughs> Except you're forced to carry on with that. You can't just give it up and go and play something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's a few stretches of that game which are like a bit more linear, like they're almost a couple of like it's probably overstating it to describe them as like Zelda dungeons, but there are a couple of bits in that game where you are stuck in a in a in a more linear succession of kind of sort of physics puzzles or weird room puzzles or sort of gadget puzzles. It's a side of the game I think sort of underappreciated. You know, the the grand scale of it is so amazing. I think people forget that there's some like minute to minute really like ingenious use of of like the rules of that world and i i wondered from their little teaser if it's going to be like more of that kind of stuff because it all seemed to be sort of interior shots of like a temple type thing i just wonder if they're going to be like leaning into that puzzle building bit i mean it's out in like a month so we don't have that long to wait to find out but yeah Mm. i'm pumped i'm pumped for that um i'm really excited for the artful escape oh yeah that's great yeah, I, I played that E3 in 2017, and it didn't look that different in 2017, but it was amazing. Like, I played it on the show floor, and I remember just coming away from the demo thinking, like, I couldn't really hear it, because the E3 is so shitty for that. But <laughs> even in those conditions, this audio-heavy game, you were like, that's going to be amazing, playing that at home with, like, a good pair of headphones. Like, just the, you know, the genre of music it's tapping into, and the, the, the sort of visual style, and the combination of sort of... Uh, music game and platform i i thought it was so good and yeah like four years is quite a long time to wait for it apparently the dude took so long because in the middle of it he just wrote like a folk album oh yeah that happens to me all the time in the middle of a piece of freelance <laughs> um, imagine saying that like you know i t- I, I talked to edge i'm like oh sorry edge i don't have that review because i had to write a folk album <laughs> instead um, you can uh, have a free copy. The guy who makes it's called Johnny Galvatron. That's, I mean, is that his Christian name or like? You know, if that's what he wants to call himself, I, like I got a lot of time for it. He's quite a quite a character, I think. I think he was actually like a pop star, an Australian pop star. Okay, well, you know, that's um, that's not the expertise of this podcast. So, um, yeah, <laughs> no. there was a shot in it that looked exactly like uh, the fight with Sin on the airship in Final Fantasy X. And I was there thinking, oh, I wonder if he was like inspired by this at all. But the imagery generally just looked amazing. I'm quite looking forward to the sequel to Judgment as well, the, the Yakuza Detective spin-off. Uh, that comes out in September as well, Lost Judgment. I think it's like the detective going like undercover in a school for like some kind of school murder. Like that Steve Buscemi 30 Rock meme. <laughs> the guy is clearly like in his late 30s, if not 40s. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's absolutely preposterous. I mean, maybe something's got lost in translation and he's not going undercover as a student. Like, maybe he's a teacher or something, or a substitute teacher. But yeah, it's, it's got big how-do-you-do-fellow-kids energy. <laughs> also, he's got a skateboard, so I can imagine him skateboarding through the corridors of a school. Um, yeah. So. There's been some quite weird stuff about that game not being on PC. Did you hear anything about this? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, it seemed like it was some quite sensitive brand people who don't understand what gaming is um but yeah. yeah and so they're gonna end the series as a result apparently is that right yeah like his talent agency don't want it on pc because again this is slightly morphed from their mouths to my ear that like they consider pc like a bit more of a dangerous space because you can like manipulate it a bit more easily and i guess they didn't want people doing like naked mods of their star or something <laughs> um was, was what i read uh, but Sega have got this, 
you know, we want everything on PC policy. Yeah. And so those two things don't match and something has to give. And Sega would rather just not do any more judgment games or there would not be any more judgment games rather than work with those uh, yeah. conditions. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sega has done some absolutely fucking boss stuff on PC with the Japanese games in recent years. So, you know, fair play, you know. Yeah, it's a shame because we'll get to it a bit later. I've been, I've been replaying it on PS5 and how well those games run does does impact like the impressiveness of some elements of it mm. so it's it's a, it's a shame that judgment currently isn't on pc i'm quite actually excited for death stranded director's cut yeah i sort of i i was reading that all i have to do is put my ps4 disc in and my ps5 pay like nine quid or something then i just get the director's cut that seems pretty good i think some of the messaging generally this generation about this like upgrade and what's paid and what isn't paid is a bit of a nightmare um oh, like yeah. generally it's 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 a sort of a huge pain in the ass but um if there's anyone i would trust to kind of revisit their game in an interesting way it is kojima like he has pretty good well, i say pretty good form you know there have been like what was the what you know what was the Metal yeah, Gear Solid 3 which one which got quite a do over yeah so subsistence uh, is the one that added the both an online multiplayer and a 3d proper 3d camera and um even Substance uh, Metal for Metal Gear Solid 2 added like a whole bunch of VR levels and stuff to extend the sort of lifespan of the game. So, yeah, I agree. He's got good form with this stuff. Yeah, so like that's, you know, I'm into that. He also said, like, <laughs> didn't he come out to it to saying, you know, I didn't call it director's cut because it makes it sound like it was it was slightly kind of compromised in some way, the original Death Stranding. But, I mean, I no offence to Hideo Kojima, but I believe he had the power to change that if he wanted to. Like it's there's no way that name would have existed without him signing off. Sorry, mate, I don't believe you. You um, <laughs> you could have changed that to whatever dumb bull. You called it Death Stranding. You could have changed that to whatever dumb bullshit you wanted to, and it would have been fine. Do you know what I mean? Death yeah. Stranding, big baby edition. <laughs> I was curious uh, actually. It's such a long game, and you've played it before. Like, will you yeah. play it again in this version? Waiting to see more about like what has and hasn't been added. But like on paper, yeah. If if it's like sort of. Um, like systemic stuff and you know he's been talking about like growing out the um like the social uh kind of shared world stuff which would have quite a big impact on how you play the whole thing like if you've got more gadgets you can place in the world and like more weird ways of like messing with the landscape like that would quite radically change your whole journey through it. Mm, yeah, well, it, that will probably mark the first time I play that game. I just think coming to it a bit later, once all the nonsense had subsided, just about what that game was going to be, you could just sort of enjoy it and appreciate it a bit better. Like if you go back, and maybe I said this on the podcast at the time, I can't remember, but if you go back and read like the original Death Stranding reviews for PS4, they're kind of like embarrassingly shit. Because it's lots of people like, oh, we're wrestling with this thing. No one can comprehend this thing. And actually, it's it's not that complicated. And it's just quite an enjoyable game. Like, I feel like it got massively missold by the critics because everyone was kind of so wrapped up in the weirdness of the, the, the campaign beforehand and, the, you know, the kind of promotional hype. A, a little bit of distance really helped that game. And I'm interested if even further distance with this director's cut may see it like appraised again on console yeah i'll look out for that too there was um, a couple more games from the um annapurna uh thing that i wanted to highlight matthew so there's obviously solar ash coming out from the hyperlight drifter developers like yeah. kind of a 3d action game that's um coming out on 26th of october that's on playstation and epic game store 
And I don't know about you, but I, I thought that um, the uh, card-based shooter game Neon White looked a lot better in its, um, its showing this time. That's out later this year too, and that's coming out on Xbox Game Pass. But um, yeah, so Annapurna actually has like you know a, a bunch of cool stuff coming out in the um, in mm-hmm. the second half this year. It's mad that that that's the Donut County guy, right? Yeah, quite. A, that's quite a shift, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I kind of respect that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's. I will just make a single player speed running FPS where it's like parkour and it looks. It draws sim- from similar influences to um, Paradise Killer, or at least you know, superficially, it looks kind of similar. But um, mm. yeah. So yeah, yeah, good stuff from them. Um, I'm excited about that. But um, any others from you, Matthew? Stuff you're looking forward to? I, I can't remember if you've already said Forza Horizon Five. I can't really imagine it being bad. That team is just very good at, at building on on the strengths of the last one. Bombing around Mexico, throwing incredibly expensive cars off the top of volcanoes and things. <laughs> um, that should be a laugh. We've been watching at lunchtimes the anime Demon Slayer. Oh right, yeah, the uh, massively popular anime. That, um, yeah, is yeah. Ma- definitely made for teenagers, but um, De- definitely made for teenagers. But there's a video game adaptation of that, which normally w- like wouldn't have been on my radar at all. But as as you're watching this show, like it's basically just a boss rush. Like there's 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 like very little going on in that show, other than in each episode he meets a new interesting monster and has to fight it in a kind of cool fight. And you think, oh, actually, yeah, I I, I would like. I would happily play that show, which there is an opportunity to do so when that game comes out later in the year. I was also this morning trying to work out whether I cared about Tales of Arise, but um, I didn't really reach a conclusion. (laughs) Maybe we should have the listeners vote on that one, Matthew. Um, Does Matthew care? Uh, yes slash no um yeah there's a few a few more that i've kind of I'm, I'm curious about i don't know if i'll buy them this year but i will i will want to play them which is um uh we've got aliens fireteam elite which is one of the two left for dead style games coming out this year the other one is back for blood from the um some of the original uh left for dead developers who've gone around the house a bit with making evolve and um and stuff so uh mm. yeah i'm curious about those I, I my regular monday online games group might be into playing those hopefully we'll see but um yeah mm. those i'm interested in especially because bat for blood is on game pass so that is a very easy sell i've not read anything about that aliens one is it it's like... good maybe surprisingly good surprisingly good yeah. See, that's what I love. I love a surprisingly good game. <laughs> I think it's been in development for quite a long time, and it's just kind of sneaking up. But um, it's not. A, it's not a Sega thing. No, no, no. This is um, another developer. I think it's like a, a, a developer of like a new developer made up of veterans, something like that. But this was rumored about. I remember being on PC Gamer when this was rumored. So this has been in, in the works for a little while. Um, I mean, but it yeah. sounds. It's, it sounds like a not an obvious pitch, as in like lazy but like it's it feels kind of pre-built as an idea for this kind of game a lot of heavy lifting is done just by the ip (laughs) yeah the license and the premise basically combined yeah no i agree with you is it going to be like the race like no one wants to have to play as um the little girl (laughs) i don't think it's like you pick michael bean you know bill paxton oh and that's i mean that would be a nightmare because everyone would want to be paxton right well i I thought you're gonna say bean everyone would want to be bean like you know that's like that's Apex Mountain for Michael Bean, uh, <laughs> as you know. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I'd say Paxton's got like more charm to him. I just, I just got an image of lobbies full of Paxtons <laughs> all saying "Game over, man, game over," and talking over like, each oh, other. Jesus. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's um that's that's coming out and then uh yeah, I'm not exactly sure when Back for Blood is out. I didn't write down when that is. Obviously, Matthew, I'm very excited about Sonic Colors Ultimate um coming to PC and uh, other formats. That's uh, going to be a highlight <laughs> of the year, I'm sure. So there's also um Aragami 2. I thought looked pretty good in one of those E3 showcases, kind of stealth um sort of like uh sort of Sekiro-y game, but mm. like a bit more of an indie sort of vibe to it. First one meant to be pretty good. The second one I thought really looked really decent in the um, in the footage. And then uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know really. It's um, Far Cry Six is coming out. I'm not much of a Far Cry guy. I'm <sighs> always co- they're always like beautiful to look at. But I played. Um, I had both the same impression with three, four, and five, which is something kind of chaotic happened. I felt like I wasn't really in control, and I sort of walked away from it. But um, people, those are enormously popular games, so people must really dig what they do. Yeah. I've played like the first six hours of Far Cry 3, 4, 5, <laughs> and that's like it. I get my feel and I'm like, yep, that's definitely a Far Cry game. Mm. Um, yeah, it just doesn't ever take off for me. Yeah, that'll probably be a, a get it in Black Friday 2022 when it's 14 quid purchase of Sammy Roberts. So um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the uh, listeners can look forward to hearing about that then. So, any more from you, Matthew, before we move on? Dying Light 2, is that on your radar? It's had a couple of like really impressive showings at like, Gamescom, hmm. you know, I think we've talked about the demos before. Like they're they're a little bit almost like too good to be true, almost like a little bit cyberpunky in that kind of like level of sort of scale and depth. And I think what they've been showing off recently, like clearly, is a thing that exists. And yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. Like dying, dying light one is like surprisingly good. As a seven out of ten to begin with. That could like creep up to a nine out of ten, like if it gets its kind of claws into you. It's a it's a weird game. Like it, I don't think it starts well at all, but it it it's got like a lot going on in it, and um, it's like a very generous game. Like it, it if you, if you're into it, you know, it it really keeps you well fed. So it's a proper like looks like they've bit off more than they can chew kind of game. But I'm um, curious to see how it turns out. So uh, yeah, yeah, well. Yeah, well, um, I'm sure we'll discuss more of these newer games in the coming months, Matthew. But let's take a short break, then we'll come back and talk about what we've already been playing this year. Back to the podcast. So, let's talk about the games we've been playing this year. As I mentioned before, they don't have to be games that actually released this year. It's just things me and Matthew have been playing, but I think that our regular listeners will um, enjoy hearing about this stuff. It's um, some stuff we've not talked about in depth before, and uh, a few games that people have been asking us to kind of check out that we've actually made time to check out this year. So, I think people will, will dig it. Obviously, me and Matthew have already talked about Hitman 3 and Resident Evil Village on this podcast. We both finished mm-hmm. it, and we discussed that in the relevant episode. So, if you'd like to know what we thought of those, both of which I'm sure will be in our top five games of the year when it comes down to it, then um, yeah, you can go back and find those. So Matthew, let's start with a game that we've both been playing. You've got Hades on your list. So what were your thoughts on that one? The thing that struck me with this, and every element of this game has been written about, so apologies if any of this sounds like broken record, like how compelling like the world and characters were and the just awesome delivery method for its story, I thought was just so absolutely superb. This idea that you know, it's this rogue light, I think it is, rather than a like, like, light. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so you're constantly doing this this same kind of gauntlet again and again. 
and the idea that you you know knowing that you can place this breadcrumb trail of story and lore that people can just sort of discover at their own pace so as your mastery of the game grows so your like mastery of the fictional universe sort of grows and deepens and your appreciation for what it is you're trying to achieve deepens i thought this was just genius yeah same so i'm not the world's biggest diablo guy i've been playing stuff i've played stuff like you know, that's adjacent to this sort of thing over the years. But I think this is a great format, even if you're not big into that genre, because it's kind of like really easy to grasp. And obviously the um, the looping nature of it seems intimidating, but it's clearly baked into how the experience is meant to play out. It's not like each run doesn't feel like failure. It feels like you're meant to fail a certain amount of times before you can actually beat the game. So um, mm. maybe that changes later on. I've not finished a complete run of this still. I've got to the uh i think the fourth of the um different sort of like biomes as you kind of plot your escape which i think is the last one yeah so i've gotten pretty far in it i do love the storytelling um our uh, guest on the sonic episode jay bayless his theory on why this game is so good is that they took their epic game store money and basically spent it on all the voice acting in the world and (laughs) i really like that as a theory and it kind of it kind of holds like that. Can you think of any other indie games that have this much voice acting and this much contextual voice acting? It's really, really impressive. Uh, I think it's the Script Lock podcast, which is about games writing. There's a really good episode with Greg Casavin. Casavin, yes, yeah. yeah, about this and about like because he's the the lead writer on it or the main writer on it, and like the pressure of writing for all these voice acting deadlines because they're constantly like layer you know they were in early access and they kept like adding new characters or expanding the game so there was like new dialogue options and just having to be super efficient so that you weren't getting like the voice actors back in to say like one line which you may need because that's the kind of curse of this is once you've committed to an actor and you've committed to like slowly building the world out you know logistically it becomes a total nightmare yeah, the characters are so good, though. They're so, like, like refreshing takes on, like, what could be, like, super cliched things. Yeah, I agree with that. So the horny character designs obviously help with that. Um, do you have a favourite horny character design, Matthew? I mean, I've asked him I'm not particularly horny for anyone in this game. <laughs> I mean, that's not... I don't know. I don't really feel that way about Pixels. Um, I mean, uh, let's, let's face it. This is not a horny podcast. Like we no. are, we are very upfront <laughs> about that. Um, I was just joking, but um, certainly do. I certainly do like the character designs. I really love the way that the um, the different Greek gods come across as like sort of arrogant and like as pricks in all these different ways. They're like, oh, we can't um, see you, but you know, uh, cool, you're breaking out of the underworld. They're sort of like got that attitude. Like, um, oh, we know we're better than you, but good luck anyway. Have have this power. It's got, it's got like the big energy of like when someone popular has invited you to some place and you're like ringing them to try and find out. And, you know, they, <laughs> they did it to be polite. They're like, yeah, oh, of course, like at E3, say, someone's like, come to our thing in the evening and you're like fantastic and you're trying to ring them to say like oh where's the where's the venue again but they're at the party and having fun the last thing they want to do is take your call so there's this kind of like tension there of like oh this guy all right yeah we're just here just just come just come just come uh, i I don't know the casual disdain of the popular you know (laughs) yeah yeah that's uh, so I'm probably I'm probably um, projecting there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it sums it up quite nicely, and um, I like that it makes you, it gives you affection for the different figures you meet in the underworld and like his relationship with them. 
especially the the bosses he's fought before where it's like oh, oh can, yeah. can you please and you go into the bar and they're like can you please just leave me alone and you fought them about five minutes ago and it kind of fights the death kind of thing it's um yeah the palace where you respawn like it almost feels it's kind of like backstage and then it's like seeing all the actors before they go on and everyone's just taking a bit of a breather and it's like all right we're gonna do this again that's just it's such a a fun like take on that um i I love that the bosses themselves like there are different versions of them and there's like narrative with that as well so like you know the first boss you fight um is that magera yep you know sometimes it's her sisters instead and you develop these other relationships with different characters and the fact that there are surprises like that when you're doing the loop is is just it's such a it's such a cool touch also i think that this game understands more than any any other how to write like codex text like um oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's like here is a tiny bit more text for you to read we know you don't want to read any more of this and you want to crack on with the game but We've written a t- we've written like one little passage here. It's well written. It's entertaining, and then you it'll take you ten seconds, and you can just go on your way. That is what every video game codex entry should be, and um, this game totally nails it. It's just it just does a lot with a little in terms of like brevity of lines and and things like that. Just one of the best best written games I've ever played for sure. Mm, and yeah, um, yeah, I should I, I should really finish it. The different the variety of different weapons as well. The way they changes the combat. It's such a like a valuable package. It feels like it's got a lot stuffed into it and um i can see why it's regarded as like the perfect switch game it really is in terms of like you can play it for as much or little as you want oh and it's so good on the switch it's such a such a nice port as well oh um, uh, yeah i couldn't imagine sitting on my computer and playing it it just no uh, yeah no. It, it got me out of some really bad habits as well because i'm quite bad in games of getting like tunnel vision like when something's working for me i'll sort of stick with it again and again i find here particularly like ev- everything they can give you or everything you can stumble upon has some worth or some value so it's much better of like teasing you into different corners it loosened me up in a way that most games struggle to it offers you a bonus for picking a certain weapon on a run doesn't it and so and everything feels good so even if it doesn't like particularly help you or you don't get particularly far nothing feels rank everything is is nice to try and nice to test out yeah great stuff would definitely have made like my um top 10 last year if i was to yeah, revise easily. that top 10 yeah. yeah okay great well i'll do one of mine then matthew which you have yeah. also played which is ghost of tsushima i've mentioned it on this podcast in bits and pieces mm. that ended up taking way longer than i thought it would um i have no appetite to play this director's cut a because i think it's going to cost like 25 quid to get the ps5 version which is i no thank you that's too much money um yeah. And secondly, I've more than had my fill of this game and I still haven't done everything in it. And like the new island looks quite nice in terms of, um, you know, this whole game looks beautiful. This uh, this uh, sort of like Japanese island setting. But it's, um, yeah, it, I, it kind of um, typifies what I think of as being like the the draw and like problem with open world games, which is the sort of flatlining nature of it in terms of, you're never like that excited or that bored. It keeps you in a permanent state of like kind of engaged. And that's how I <laughs> right. felt about Ghost of Shima. I think it does this better than quite a lot of the other ones. I think it's got better combat than Assassin's Creed, for example. Mm. But it's not so hard or so intricate or anything like that that it requires that next level of like um, sort of adrenaline from you. It's very sort of gentle, you know, mm. counterattack, like pull off cool moves, combat system. 
And yeah, like I say, it just keeps you in that permanent lull of like, you know, it just gives you enough endorphins to kind of keep going through like 60 hours of it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I definitely kind of enjoyed my, my journey with it. It's been a long time since I've played a game like this too. And I think that that's the key with open world games. If you play like four of them in a row, you will absolutely burn out on the the right. kind of like, you know, the the box ticking nature of them and like um, exploring these maps and all this stuff. Like, I think that you can easily, easily give up on them if you play too many of them. But it had been about a year and a half since I played one of these. And this was a particularly good one. So uh, I liked it. You never finished this one, did you, Matthew? No, no, I got about, I think, like halfway through the second island. And I, it had just gone too long without showing me something new. Mm. And I thought, nah. Like, I'd had my fill. Like, I'd played it for, like, I don't know, 20 hours or something. I saw some cool stuff. I feel like I've seen, like, one example of everything this game does. Mm. I think I'd followed about 8,000 foxes at that point. Yeah. Like, the only thing I think you maybe missed out on is when you have the the jewels with the Ronin in, like, these quite spectacular cinematic locations. They're all very straightforward, but they're, like... You'll just go out into this misty marsh and just see a single dude standing there. And it's like, yeah, um, yeah. you might have even have done those. Oh, yeah, I did, I did a couple of those. I thought the best bits in the game were like the side quests for like the legendary weapons. Yeah. Because they kind of took you to sort of slightly more bespoke areas and played with the idea of like navigating the map by like landmarks and stuff. They were kind of sort of like geographical riddles. If I remember correctly, it was like go to where the cliffs part and there is a you know a giant blue tree or something and then you'd go there and there'd be some like weird old ghost warrior you'd smack around for a hat um <laughs> yeah you've basically got the measure of it yeah 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 <laughs> i think even riddles are slightly generous it's just like you know do you see a different colored plant in an area where the plants are otherwise the same color yes then there's probably <laughs> like a, there's probably a ghost there in a hat ready to be twatted on the head um, <laughs> how yeah. stupid was everyone in that world that no one else had solved these riddles until you came along well, everyone's like no i don't i don't get it at all and it's like it's blue the blue flowers in the field of white flowers no no i don't <laughs> oh, sorry afraid the, not the funniest thing is when um someone goes oh, there's a rumor that this legendary weapon is like um it's in this cove and uh, you know i i don't know if it's true or not and it takes you five minutes to walk there and then you go in and it is there. And it's like, there's just, there's no way that makes any sense. But yeah, I guess that's just, you know, you have to buy into the illusion of it. I wish sometimes games, if they're going to go down that route and they're going to have something which is an ancient treasure, they had the guts to actually like really hide it. Yeah. And so when you found it, you felt absolutely awesome rather than, oh, I'm just the, the three millionth player who found this because it's super obvious. It just doesn't feel like, yeah. particularly special. Yeah, uh, no offence to the developers, but nothing in this game feels like a challenge. It just feels like you're trying to uh, sort of like, uh, well, there's a lot of puzzles in this game that are just like climb to the top of this mountain. And it's like, well, the platforming is so automated feeling that I don't feel like I'm really solving anything. I just feel like I'm just nudging my character in a certain direction to get to the end. And like... um you don't feel like you're achieving anything, like you say. So, um, mm. yeah, but that, that's not to take away from the combat, which is, you know, I, I don't think I died many times in this game, but, like, um, it definitely, uh, the def- combat definitely felt good, and it looked nice. It's very nicely animated. The, the What's that thing where you kind of strike the pose and then you can kind of kill them instantly at the start? That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's, like, um, there's a, an ability you get later on where you can do it. I think it, the screen goes red, and then you can do, like, three kills in a row like that, and it's, um, that's pretty rad. I can't remember what that's called now, but... Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, all of that is um, all of that is pretty decent. But um, yeah, if there's one thing that's kind of highlighted to me as a player though is that I do, 
I do need that extra layer of like tension or stress or something just to kind of get my heartbeat racing, which um, determines some of the other choices I made this year. But um, we'll get to that in a bit. So what else have you been playing this year, Matthew? I've been replaying uh, the, the original Judgment game, which you know I mentioned earlier is the, is the Yakuza Detective spin-off. I liked this originally. I, re- I reviewed this, gave it three stars, and it, like whenever it pops up on my Twitter feed, it's always people saying, like, this is the best Yakuza game. I know Andy Kelly rates it very highly and talked about it when we had him on for the Detective episode, for example, and they obviously re-released it on PS5. On PS4, it was kind of pushing at the limits of it. You know, it was beginning to strain and get a little rough around the edges, and I just wanted something to play on my PS5 that wasn't 70 quid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got that, and I've been replaying it, and the Yakuza games in general are just real comfort food. Just being in that location again, and you know it so well, and particularly with this one, it's it's a bit more wholesome than the other Yakuza games, because you're not like a gangster. You're just this private eye and you're helping lots of people in the community. And, you know, a big part of the game is about making friends with all the shop owners and restaurant owners to get, like, discounts. Well, actually, sorry, you're not not helping them to get discounts. You get discounts as a result of helping them. It's not so (laughs) self-serving. It's not about a very greedy detective who sees, like, a scam to get cheap steak, which is... 100% 100% what I would do. Oh, imagine if you could, like, make friends with JC of JC's Kitchen and get cheap bubble and squeak. I don't think um, I can be friends with JC of JC's Kitchen because um, the other day he cancelled my delivery order, Matthew, after half an hour, and when the <laughs> delivery guy was all the, already there, ready to take it, and uh, he just mysteriously cancelled as it started raining. And so, um... <laughs> I love that he's now doing deliveries. Now, he's on delivery, and we were, like, fantastic. This has solved like the big problem of JC's Kitchen, which is you never know if it's going to be open or not. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that it is still governed by whatever <laughs> arcane rules govern the tent. Oh, do we? Um, the one part we've maybe not revealed about JC's Kitchen is: don't we both suspect that JC stands for Jesus Christ? And it's kind of oh, like yeah. a, there's a religious. Yeah, I element. think it. I think it does. Yeah. I mean, that adds an extra layer of... That'll probably blow the minds of our listeners who have been following this saga, which seems to be quite a lot of them um, at this point. But yeah, Jesus Christ Kitchen. There is, I, I thought he was JC. What, what, but, he's not calling himself Jesus Christ, is he? No, no, I thought he was JC for a long time. Yeah, so did I. Like, you know, we, like uh, 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 John Christopher or something like that. You know yeah, what I mean? but yeah. I, no, I think... It, yeah, I think there's a quote on the, the logo, which I think is biblical. Well, there you go. Is there anything in the Bible about closing when it rains? I don't know. Yeah, that's one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Thou shalt not sell meat <laughs> when it rains. Imagine, like, imagine he heard all of this. Like, he would imagine, like, someone told him about this podcast and the fact that we talk about his meat tent over and over again. Would... Well, listen, it come like if he is listening. I don't think he is, but if he is, it does come from a place of love. Oh yeah, like yeah. it's because he makes amazing food and i just want to have it on tap it's yeah. it's such a shame that the rain can like govern his business like that yeah my my heart was broken when that order was cancelled i was like devastated so <laughs> i mean that is hard i mean that, that's so you and i we we rock up to jc's kitchen there are some ruffians there we beat the shit out of them as we do and then we get a permanent <laughs> discount at jc's kitchen is that what you're positing matthew yeah, the words come up on screen, Bath Uni students. <laughs> and I pick up I pick up a giant novelty plastic ice cream that's outside the ice cream shop near Bog Island. Yeah. 
and I start spinning it around, knock them all out. I pick you up, throw them down the stairs to Bog Island. <laughs> I pick up that barrel from outside Independent Spirit and then like just throw, <laughs> throw it like Donkey Kong. Just absolutely. <laughs> This is so niche. <laughs> yeah, you have to know so many local Bath references to get this. Jesus Christ! I tell you what, though, if you listen to this podcast and you visit Bath, you'll be like, "Oh wow, it, it really is like that." There really is a giant plastic ice cream cone and a giant barrel right next to Jason's <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you want to know about like one very specific area of Bath, this podcast has you covered. Okay, good. So yeah, judgment then. Good game runs like a dream on ps5 and the, the main character is uh, he's a lot more acrobatic than kiryu he kind of leaps off walls and leapfrogs people and chucks them around and that motion is just so much more satisfying when it's like going at full pelts or 60 frames i'm not normally a frame rate guy but <laughs> there i remember thinking oh this is what this combat's kind of meant to look like it's got me quite excited for lost judgment actually i'm really up for it now do you play with um subs or dub always subs yeah, I was going to say, because I watched the trailer for Lost Judgment and I found it really bewildering seeing those guys like open their mouths and then like English voices come out of them. That didn't seem yeah, right I mean, at all. The localization on those games is amazing. Probably is like Ace Attorney levels of excellence in terms of translating quite like regional gags and things in, in, into English. But you can appreciate all that with the subtitle files. You know, you don't need to hear it. And the fact that they've hired this Japanese actor to play the character and voice it. I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I wouldn't watch a dubbed film. I don't watch anything dubbed, so... I love that they, um, his representatives don't mind an English dude's voice coming out of his mouth, but they won't put the game on PC. I mean, that really is, like, um, <laughs> but, uh... I mean, he does some, like, really weird shit in that game as well. Like, A, you can dress him up as, like, a vampire and sort of walk around looming at people in the background, which is daft. But there's a big side quest storyline about these like legendary perverts that you're hunting. They're the Twisted Trio, they're called. And all of those set pieces are like pretty wild. I mean, he's not doing anything perverted himself, but he is sharing the screen with like this, this sort of eight foot tall naked dude with like a giant fig leaf over his crotch ah it it, it must be every yakuza side quest oh yeah sorry yeah that <laughs> oh, our client doesn't want to look silly like it's a silly game you mm. signed up to be in a very silly game but i guess they just don't want people like you know modding it so he's not wearing any trousers or anything <laughs> heaven forbid well now the problem is if they ever do release on pc now that will definitely happen because that's what that's what the pc gaming community is like they will like <laughs> yeah. they'll do the thing to piss the people off. If it came out on PC, all that would happen is that people would swap his character model with the eight foot guy with the fig leaf over his crotch, <laughs> and you'd play the whole game as him. That's what would happen. Yeah. Well, Matthew, um, that leads in nicely to the, to the games I was going to talk about next, which is Yakuza Zero and Yakuza Kiwami. So for years, I've been putting off the Yakuza games. Then doing the Yakuza podcast was kind of a catalyst for me finally playing these, and um, I've finished both of them now. And, um, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed the experience. I was curious, Matthew, why did you decide to play Judgment again rather than just playing continuing with the Accuser series? Because you got up to the same point I did, right? There's a bit of practicality to it because I'm trying to, like, review the sequel when it comes out as well. So I mm. figured it would help with that if I just, just kind of refresh myself. Um, it, it really was. I just wanted to, I wanted to play something shiny on my PS5 because I spent all that money on it and I haven't. I've basically only played Resident Evil Village on it, which seems mm. bad. I got a cheap copy of this, so quite a boring practical decision. But you're right; like I've got a pile of like five other Yakuza games I also need to, to play. <laughs> well, I've got um, Returnal, uh, Demon Souls, and uh, Miles Morales. If you ever need to borrow a PS5 games, so just let me know. But um, 
Yeah, so Yakuza 0 and 1, I mean, they are like... These are old-feeling games at this point. Both, I think, released um, these remake. Well, the remake of the first one and the um, and Zero, the prequel, released on PS3 as well. So they are old-ass-looking games by today's standards, but I nonetheless enjoyed them. Very, very long. What I found weird, Matthew, is how how even though Kiwami is a remake of the first game, it manages to feel like an expansion pack for Yakuza Zero. And mm. I think it's because relative to the length of Yakuza Zero, it's quite a short game. And also the fact that it just has like it has it has far less stuff in it, um, far less stuff to do. Um, very very few interesting side quests. Not I think the side quest quality was quite poor overall. Actually, yeah, just uh, just generally doesn't feel like it's got um, it's got as much going on, which is probably just a sign of how the series managed to evolve over the years and become more interesting and grow all these different strands. Mm. So Zero ends up feeling like a more confident game by comparison. But um, yeah, I very much enjoyed. The sort of um, the experience of going through that that story. Um, I think that it's um, I'm kind of like locked into it now. But I think someone pointed out online that if you play too many of these in a row, it's a bit like Ace Attorney, where you need kind of need a little break between them, really, or you might right, burn out yeah. on them. And there are just so many of them. So um, yeah, I don't know. They do sort of blur into one another. Though at the same time, I do like the fact that when someone tells me to go somewhere on the map, I know where it is. Like, I don't have to look at the map constantly. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can get... I can basically get from anywhere to anywhere in that world. Like, if I was to take um, that test they make taxi drivers take in London, <laughs> I think I could do it for Camera Oak Show. Yeah, I th- yeah, that's good. I mean, it is only, like, four streets or something like that. I so. know, I mean, those taxi drivers have quite... A- and also, you can't... S- seemingly, there's no taxi cars in the edge of it. Like, they all park around the outside of the map. <laughs> so you just have to drive around the ring road constantly. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like, um, I don't know if it's a high-paying gig, but it seems like it's a pretty simple one. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that. Like There was that very bizarre um, sort of like um, women wrestling minigame in Kiwami. Yeah. I, I couldn't get into that. I I never got into the um, boxcar stuff in the in Zero, and so when it came up again in Kiwami, it didn't really mean much to me. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's always like a thing in these games, which I'm like, I just don't want to connect. You know, I really hope this isn't going to be essential for anything. Um, in judgment, it's like drone racing. Like, I'm just not interested in flying a drone around. Um, and of course, they all have the perennial uh, favorite uh, shogi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, also the the big weakness of Kiwami, I think you mentioned in previous um, a previous episode, is that you have to escort that little girl around, and she's not very interesting. Um, that yeah. det- that detective dude um, isn't very interesting either. Um, he's kind of he's a bit of a drag. That guy. And then, um, obviously, as well, like it's quite hard to stomach what happens between um, Kiyu and Nishiki in that game after playing Zero, because you're like, oh man, we just, but dude, we kicked so much ass in the 80s, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you just wish there was a button prompt to say that. You feel like so much stuff could be fixed just by reminding them of that. Yeah, just remember the 80s. Like, that's <laughs> do you remember you... the 80s? He's like, oh yeah, it was good. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's the end of the game. Um, yeah, so you're right. Let's go and play that weird, sexy Beatle game. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I enjoyed those. So I will crack on with um, Kiwami too. I'm just trying to. I'm just debating whether I'm going to play on PC with a nicer frame rate or on my uh, PS4. Where I've already got the um, the version for it. So uh, mm. I don't know. I will think about that. But um, yeah, I'm um, I'm pleased like these crack the games this year. That was something I was um, I'd always wanted to do. So. Uh, yeah. Hmm. So, um, what, what have you got next, me, Matthew? So I've got uh, an interesting one: Raging Loop. 
which is a visual novel I played on Switch. I think it actually came out last year, if not the year before. Have you heard of this at all? No, I haven't. Um, it sounds like a proper... Uh, to be honest, like um, the name doesn't really sound very distinctive, and uh, but now I know nothing about it at all. So the kind of concept is, you know, this sort of dude driving through the night on a motorbike and you have a crash and you kind of arrive in this sort of strange village which is on the cusp of having a kind of a a ritual and everyone's a little kind of freaked out that there's this outsider in the village and it soon sort of transpires very mild spoiler alert but it's the setup of the game they're kind of plagued by werewolves the village kind of gets locked down by this sort of mysterious mist so you can't escape and it gets sort of thrust into this sort of like life or death game against these werewolves where the villagers are trying to hunt the werewolves and if they can kill the werewolves before they kill them they win or vice versa um much like the board game werewolves if you've ever played that werewolf the the party game where you're trying to identify who in the group is a werewolf it's basically the rules of that but kind of applied as this sort of mythology to this village this is like proper visual novel strictly linear you may be make like 20 choices over the course of like 30 40 hours you know it's mostly sitting there and just listening to reams and reams of dialogue because it is based on that that kind of party game it kind of mimics the discussions you have playing those kind of games where everyone's in a room and you're all trying to logic well like if he was a werewolf then he would seek he would say this because he wants us to think it's this person even though you don't have any kind of like role in it particularly like there's you know you're not really doing any logic yourself you're gonna get really wrapped up in the drama and the discussions it gets like surprising mileage out of the situation as well it's quite hard to talk about without spoiling yeah, I th- I thought this was kind of rad. If you like weird mysteries, it's it, it'll happily eat up tens and tens of hours. It definitely looks very lo-fi, even for a visual novel. But it, it kind of, I don't know, like the voice acting, just the quality of the writing and the, the quality of like the setup. It sort of works. I mean, I, I've, I've not played enough visual novels that I feel I can kind of talk about them in any kind of sophisticated way about... I imagine there are a lot of subtle techniques which define which of these games do and don't work well. Mm. And those techniques are a bit of a mystery to me. It's something I am trying to get into. Like, I'm trying to play more of them. And when there is, like, so little going on, you know, very minor things can make a big impact. So, like, font choices or the flow of text or the speed of text. Like, quite technical stuff like that. I'm kind of kind of interested in the art of, of why these things work and, and some of us don't. Yeah, there are a few authorities out there in the in the media who know this stuff very well i'd say you're like you must be like relative to other critics pretty up there matthew by now on the mags i was on i felt like if we had one of these things i'd be i'd i'd you know be on top of it but like there are sites dedicated to this stuff or like oscar over on play magazine when i talked to him about visual novels he knows unbelievable amounts i mean he he must have played like hundreds of these things i only play the ones which like break into the mainstream so i feel like a bit of a phony <laughs> yeah i think um uh, melindy hetfeld's an expert as well about the yeah Eagle yes yeah, yeah. yeah like, there, there are definitely people who really know this stuff um mm. so yeah maybe that's a subject we'll revisit down the line i think we talked yeah about i think there could be good, i think there could be a good episode in that like i feel like there's some really awesome stuff just out of reach yeah. which you know i'd like to know about for sure Mm, yeah, that's something we will um, we will ponder some more. So yes, good stuff, Matthew. That's um, an interesting uh, recommendation. Is that one of those visual novels that costs a fucking fortune on Switch, or is this one actually? Uh, I think priced? it was like twenty five quid or something. 
I think I've probably played it for about 40 hours. It was pretty chunky, so... Yeah, you know, it's not bad, is it? It's like buying a DVD uh, box set in 2008. Well, yeah, that's the th- if you compare it to something like that, you're like, well, yeah, sure. And it was good. I'm pleased that I played it. Okay, good stuff. Well then, Matthew, we come to um, probably like the biggest one for me in terms of like stuff to say about the game in question. Mm. The Last of Us Part 2. So mm. I think a few people had been tweeting me hoping that we talk about it on this podcast. And so here we are. Like, um, It's definitely one we missed out a bit on the Best Games of 2020 episode because you chose not to put it in your top 10 and I hadn't played it. <laughs> Um, I found the conversation around it a bit suffocating last year, so yeah. I muted every possible term I could, every character name I could, and then just carried on with my life in the pandemic, and um, you know, and then came back to it a year later. So I had a week off last week, and I just played through the whole thing in a week, basically. And yeah, so I, I have a question for you, Matthew. Do you think a game can be perfectly paced in terms of level design and like combat sandboxes and escalating challenges and all that sort of thing while also having some pacing problems in its story because that's kind of how i feel about the last of us part two i think it's like i think the escalation of challenge in this game the combat sandboxes that naughty dog builds the the way the the challenge escalates the sort of variety and level design all that stuff is kind of perfect and um comes to a really nice crescendo in the with the change of location at the end of this game but in terms of story it feels quite flabby, and I feel like they could have cut maybe three to four hours out of it. Is that how you felt about The Last of Us? And I, f- I feel like with The Last of Us, the story conversation always drowns out like the rest of the game, hmm. which is, like like you say, probably the better made bit. I think it's the best game game that Naughty Dog's made. So early on in the game, there's a safe puzzle where the, the, the uh, solution is 0451. So anyone who's played an immersive sim game will know what that's a reference to. It's like a Deus Ex and it's got a long, long lineage. So uh, this game has obviously elements of the immersive sim, but it can't really be played that way, I don't think. Mm. It doesn't have that level of like variety. Obviously, you can't do a non-lethal playthrough in this game. It's an incredibly violent game. But as a kind of stealth action game, it's very, very satisfying. I think you have to get into the notion that you're not always going to be able to stealth your way out of a situation. And sometimes it's just easier to start a fight and more fun to start a fight than it is to try and like be sneaky or whatever. That's not always mm. the case, but also, um, also it can't, it can't be, um, it can't count itself as one of those games because one of its enemy types, the bloater can't even be killed in stealth. So there's a certain amount more combat to this than, than there would be in other stealth games. And it kind of mm. like walks the line between the two in a way where, I don't think it's like a I don't think it's like a really great stealth game. But in terms of like a hybrid stealth action game, I think it's really, really good. And yeah. I think they thought really carefully about the different sort of like I don't know, topography of the levels, the sort of the different the different heights of the levels and like how the enemies would be distributed and there's one level that's like um, a kind of firing range where there's like enemies on a on a broken tall building in front of you and uh, you're going to get into a sniper battle no matter what. That's just part of what that level is. And then there's other times where you're just in, you know, like grotty apartment blocks, very sneakily kind of like trying to stab any enemies before they see you. And the variety of those, they built so much game for this, Matthew. It's kind of, it's amazing. I think it's like yeah. on that level amazing is that how you felt about it yeah very much so I, I, I as much as i love a really precise stealth game this one works because it is quite like hazy and mm. sort of unpredictable like there's a tension to it that even the the best stealth play can kind of go wrong because of some slightly kind of chaotic elements 
or some sort of ambiguities in it's sort of designed to go sort of wrong on purpose in quite a fun way Mm. and when it does the combat is it is like a scrappy sort of fight for survival unintentional and wrong and a bit desperate like it's it's very rare that you're just openly a kind of competent aggressor in this if that one of my criticisms of the game like the way it has these two halves to it kind of focusing on different characters for my money the actual action in both parts feels a little too similar i do wonder if it would it would have been more interesting if you'd felt like a a very different action presence in the second half of the game but maybe those characters do feel a bit more distinct to you like as you played it more recently well i I do actually disagree a little bit because obviously that's that's like i say you've played it recently so well i i think that it doesn't feel like you're starting the game again when you take over the role of the second character it feels like the game is continuing in terms of like you know there's obviously there's the story through line of this game but then there's also the through line of how the action escalates that is um you know more closely linked to like the level and combat design and that i feel like that can kind of continues to kind of grow in challenge as it goes like it becomes oh, yeah and 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 because um that second playable character has a slightly different armory like a flamethrower and um a crossbow um whereas ellie's obviously got like a bow and um yeah slightly different kind of setup um obviously the second character is a bit more physical as well she's a bit more sort of like brutal um physically she can like beat up enemies in a way that ellie can't who kind of scrambles around environments and stuff i think that I, I I don't think it like changes the game. It doesn't make it a different game. Um, there's definitely more they could have done to make it more varied, for sure. Um, mm. I suppose that's maybe something you become more aware of because of the game's like massive length. So you have more and more time to think about this stuff. Or you just forget. By the end of it, it's quite easy to have forgotten a lot of the stuff of the first half. Mm. Yeah, you know. So maybe you like it blurs into this mass of like, wow, that was like 25 hours of like the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I gotta say, compared to the first, so here's how I felt about the first uh, game in the series, The Last of Us, in 2013. So I thought I found the combat very frustrating and like half realized, and I thought there were times where it was easier just to fire your gun, throw down a bomb, and then try and blow up five enemies as they scramble towards you. And I think right. this is better in giving you different enemy types, in making the stealth more coherent and um, giving you such a vast armory that you feel like you've got a good variety of ways to deal with different enemies. So I think it's like tons stronger in that regard. Um, mm. Found that really confident. And um, yeah, I just I thought that, yeah, I think building on Uncharted 4, which had the best combat in that series, this is even better and um, bodes well for whatever they make next. And unlike Uncharted 4, which um, d- did have sections cut from the game because you know they had to get it done in quite a short time frame. There is, um, I was reading about this in Jason Schreier's book, but there was originally a collapsing crane sequence in the um, Scotland section of Uncharted 4 that they had to cut out of the game because they just didn't have time to finish it. And that definitely feels like the weakest part of that game. Not that it's bad. I obviously love Uncharted 4. But this, mm. this feels like they've made no compromises. I don't think I've ever played a Naughty Dog game like it where it feels like there are like no compromises in how they've done it. It's just... They had time to make an absolute fuck ton of game for it. And mm. I think that that then spills over, though, into the story being a bit too flabby and self-indulgent. So, you know, in the first game, you it was set over different seasons. You had snapshots of the, um, of the story. Whereas in this one, you see the entire journey. And it means mm. that it, it means that whole sections feel quite languid by comparison is that is that why you weren't as big on it matthew i feel like i kind of know a lot of naughty dogs tricks as well there's stuff 
particularly on the story side, that when they do it, I feel like I'm just ticking off like, oh, okay, it's that again, or, or they're doing this, and I can't get into it, you know, I can't get, like, immersed in what's actually happening. The rules of their storytelling, I guess, are, are a little bit too too obvious to me, and, you know, it comes down to the kind of, the sort of the interactive cutscene, which is a the thing they're really big on, which is the a kind of a big character development beat where two people sort of chat and have fun social interactions by pressing triangle next to bits of the level. It's like stuff which gets all the memes and it's the stuff which a lot of people gravitate towards because it's like the few moments of lightness in often quite unhappy games. I find them very boring and out of step with action elsewhere a couple of them like by all means like have them as as rare things but this game leans on them so much there's so many like flashbacks and the magic of that has totally worn off ever since uncharted 2 ox patting you know which we've talked about before it's it's the ox patting moment it's all the problems i had with the epilogue to Uncharted 4, writ large. But uh, some people love that. Like that, for a lot of people, I get the impression they think, man, I wish I could fuck off all this stealth play. I just want to have spend time with these characters doing like dumb jokes in like museums and fucking around with hats and stuff. And you're like, okay, but like you said, it is Naughty Dog completely uncompromised, but it's also like Naughty Dog completely unedited. Yeah, that seems to be the kind of like, um, the sort of the price of it, I suppose. I, I, I will say... I like that stuff more than you, but I do agree this game had too much of it. Um, someone at Naughty Dog really fucking loves aquariums, right? I mean, you spend ages in that aquarium in this game. There's a bit where you flash back to like the the zoo. No, it's not the zoo. It's the history. Is it the history museum? That's right. Yeah, like a science history. Like thing. There, there, there's some really nice stuff in there, and actually, if, if that had just been the only one, I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it. Like. There's also this weird tension that, like, is that scene going to turn into an action scene at some point? Mm. Which is quite nice. It's quite nicely done. Um, sort of hangs over it. You're like, oh, okay, you could do something different with it. And whether or not they do, I, you know, I won't spoil. But yet in the second half, there seem to be like eight thousand flashbacks to like Sea World. <laughs> uh, maybe that's overstating it, but like, you spend a lot of time walking around that that aquarium. And that just wasn't interesting to me. I'm, you know, I I think it's the the style of the scene rather than the characters themselves. I think I agree with you on that. Um, I think it's partly. I think the the game is is working hard to make you like this set of characters that is you know not not the set of characters you're familiar with. We're avoiding story spoilers here because mm. I managed to avoid all story spoilers for this game oh, wow. going into it. Don't know how. There's like. You know, a couple of like howling great spoilers for this game that I have just completely avoided in the year since. Um, so I did some good muting there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think people deserve to um, discover what those secrets are because they're you know they definitely have an emotional impact. And um, yeah, so by having the second playable character, they're trying to make you invested in in their world and their sort of like little ensemble and i would say that the game's only semi-successful in that it does it for a very clear reason the the amount of time it puts into that but um i think that it it does mean that it's weighed down slightly where you do get to the end of an action sequence it's like oh back to the fucking aquarium it's like yeah i get it owen you've got your boat and you live in a fucking (laughs) like you know a whale cave or whatever like i mean well done mate you've done it you've uh congratulations and um that i sort of um 
I, I, again, I understand exactly why they did it all, but this, the second half of the game feels flabbier than the first half. You're like, ah, uh, I just... I, uh, yeah, I wish this was just slightly leaner than it is. A super unhappy time the second half as well. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It just um, doesn't help. <laughs> uh, so, uh, here's the other thing I really loved about it, though, Matthew. So, if I had another criticism of the first game, it felt like The Road, but PG-13 to me, with the exception of the um, the kind of, like, finale where Joel kills the Fireflies and makes a decision mm. to take Ellie out of the hospital. All that stuff is very dark. The rest of it felt like, oh, I feel like I'm playing the Hollywood version of, you know, something uh, uh, like a grisly post-apocalyptic drama. Mm. This game is one of the most violent pieces of mainstream entertainment ever made. Like, it is so brutal, from the death animations to the tone of it. Um, some of the mad shit you see in the second half of this game. It's like, it really is completely uncompromised. I was curious how you felt about that, um, that, that, that tone difference between the first and second games because to me i really admired how uncompromising it is and i feel like it earned how violent it is i would agree with that i mean to be honest it may sound like a, a frivolous remark the whole time i just kept thinking of like the poor bastards who had to kind of make that stuff i kept thinking of, like the sound guy and <laughs> how every day you come in and see your like to-do list and it's kind of, oh, today we need, like, what it sounds like when someone kills a dog with a hammer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, it's not like a Nintendo sound engineer. It's like, what's it like when you jump on a giant apple? <laughs> you know, it's it's just a very different, like, job. And that would probably get to you over four years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, side note, the dogs in this game fucking suck. They're psychic, uh, which is really annoying. Like, uh, I killed one dog with a bow and arrow, then another one just immediately dashed through a window, like, next to me. And I was like, what the fuck? Are these dogs, like, psychically linked? But um, anyway, yeah, Yeah, the violence, yeah. There are are odd moments where I feel like it feels like violence is a shorthand for, like, adult or important. And it it needn't be that way. I'm, but, but that's I, that might just be fatigue. Like by the end of the game, I was I was sort of sick of it. Even though it's kind of like it's the very the very end of it, which obviously won't sort of spoil. On paper, like I'm completely down with it. I like the setting. I like the idea of it. I you know. And if it had come at the end of a slightly shorter game. I would have probably just been fine, but by that point, I just I kind of got it into my head. I just wanted it over and done with because of that. It, that was the only point. There were bits where like the violence felt a bit self indulgent, or I felt like they'd made their point like a hundred times over by that point. You know, it has a bit of a like Lord of the Rings syndrome in that it has like five endings, mm. and each one is like more progressively unpleasant than the last. <laughs> It's like Lord of the Rings if he then, like, just kept killing all his other f- f- hobbit mates with a hammer. <laughs> you know, you, it, would, it would wear you down a bit. My overall arching feeling is that you kind of know exactly what the game's stance is on everything not too far into the second half, and then it just becomes, like, really just hammering it home again and again about, you know, cycles of violence. And you're like, yeah... Okay. I don't know. I don't know. But the game, I think the game is good at asking you what your point of view is on it. And uh, while it works very hard to say, to ask the question, are you sure you're on the right side of this? It's like, it's still, it's still really taking some quite bold swings and showing you lots of mad shit and like, and making it ambiguous enough that you as the player 
kind of like are allowed to make up your own mind about what's happening even if the story always plays out in the same way but maybe we differ yeah. on that. i don't know maybe it's just i just need to replay it and you know it's such a long game but I, I actually remember kind of very little of it weirdly like there's a couple of like key set pieces and key stretches of it maybe mm. that paints a slightly incorrect picture of what that game is Oh yeah, all the all of my favourite bits in this game as well were bits where there were two sides fighting each other and you were kind of like manipulating the battle around them. I love that shit in computer games. This does it very well. I, I really like it when they do a, a tiny chunk of open world. Like that's, that's a naughty dog trick I'm still not bored of. Mm. Just because it's nice to have the illusion of some freedom, but also like the incredible polish and storytelling of like their linear levels kind of combined you know particularly like how characters talk to each other how they kind of trigger certain things in that world like how they deal with you doing things out of order i'm not saying they've solved these problems but they've they've had to address them quite carefully and i think people you know if you watch some of their gdc talks how they kind of like came upon that storytelling kind of style there's a really good gdc talk i think it's josh share the the writer talking about the big open world section of lost legacy mm. and about how it made them rewrite how they thought about like companion dialogues and how companions act around you and you can see all those lessons in the last of us but it has a lot of the cadence of an open world game i think in terms of how it's paced and how um how certain areas feel even though if, even if it's only really explicitly open world in that one seattle mm. section towards the start where you can um, go into that bank, which is cool. I always like a good bank level in a game. Oh, and, uh, yeah. I'll tell you one bug that I do have with this game with regards to its level design is that I, I, I sometimes feel it, it, it cl- too clearly like delineates between this area is in a combat arena and this area is an exploring arena. I feel like I wasted a lot of time exploring combat arenas, worried that I was missing like story elements when mm. there aren't any. Did you ever get that, that vibe? sort of I, I i understood it more when i in my brain i started to click oh this is a section they just want me to run past they don't want me to like look around here they want me to just move on but other places are kind of a hybrid like there's lots of loot stashed and it's also a combat arena so sometimes it was hard to tell should i be lingering around here or should i just move on yeah i feel like i spent a lot of time trying to clean up spaces because you know the game teaches you to scavenge for survival Mm. and then you end up like cleaning up spaces which actually don't have a lot to offer in that regards because they were designed as like a kind of combat space this took my my partner another 10 hours to finish which suggests to me that you know she said she was being really comprehensive and stuff and yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to know where to draw the line. So I think that's like a minor criticism I, I accept. Um, mm. I think it's I think it's themes generally have landed a bit better with me than you, just based on what you're what you're saying about it. But um, I am fresh off of playing it. I'm glad I played it in that time frame. Actually, like um, I, I would have struggled to fit this into my like regular life. This game, it's um, yeah. Did you play it with the swanky PS5? I sure frame did. I sure did. Looked lovely. Looked fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. that's. Such a, it makes such a difference as well because I did play the first uh, few hours to to get to Seattle in the kind of like choppier thirty frames um, PS4 original. So the fact that they patched it and it looks so smooth is just fantastic. It won't like radically change some things, but I think it makes the combat feel a bit better. Yeah, you can so... really see that hammer going into Doghead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dogs get a tough break in this one. Probably the reason the aquarium was in the game, Matthew, was um, as a bit of therapy for the people who have to animate throats being slit like 40 times a day or whatever. 
Um, yeah, they're like, yeah. can I work on the aquarium today? Something a bit sad. And they're like, yeah, go on. <laughs> can I just do some fish swimming around? Um, and they're like, oh, no, I'm afraid you're on dog hammering duty today. <laughs> and I'm afraid you've got a motion capture it for real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's um, next up for you then from this year, Matthew? I had a couple of, of like more recent things that I haven't played like in great depth, but I kind of wanted to group together. They're, they're, they're massively unconnected. One is uh, Neo, The World Ends With You. And the other is Last Stop, the narrative game from Variable State, uh, who made Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm assuming you're aware of both of these. Yeah, I, I downloaded um, Last Stop with great intentions of playing it because obviously it's on Xbox Game Pass, and then um, I didn't play it yet, but I will. And uh, I just yeah. I fantasized about being on the tube again, Matthew. That's why I downloaded it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this uh, the reason I'm actually grouping them together is like they're obviously wildly different. One's a, a mad like JRPG action battler set in Tokyo, and the other's uh, sort of interactive um, storytelling. I guess in the vein of like uh, a David Cage kind of game um, set in London. I haven't played enough e- either enough to really get into them as like how I feel about them as as like whole things. But they're both absolutely amazing at capturing like an energy and a vibe of a place, but in quite an abstract way. You know, if if you've played the original World Ends with You, you'll know this. It's sort of set in like the young, sort of trendy sort of areas of Tokyo. It's about these sort of um, disaffected teens, I guess. But they're you know they're sort of lay about regular teens. The things they're kind of interested in and like the music they're interested in is quite like represented by the soundtrack. And you know the game is not like a yakuza style kind of realistic simulation of those areas. It's very like sort of drawn in quite a, a, a weird and particularly this new one near on i've been playing on switch it's um like the city's like 3d modeled but there's this like strange like fish eye lens effect it's sort of looming you know the buildings are literally like looming on you at street level which is which is which is quite fun but the way it captures like the culture you know the music and the style and like you know the fact that like all your attacks are like pin badges like in the original but there's this sense of collecting weird bits of tat that you do as a teenager to kind of express yourself just it feels authentic to me in a way that I really, really like. I've only been to Tokyo a couple of times, but it kind of captures this sense of bustling sort of metropolis of where the crowd feels like a, a, a giant entity. You get the impression that these characters are just sort of like fighting to kind of stand out or to have any kind of sense of individuality. And in the same way, if what, what I've really loved about The Last Stop is it's it's like an anthology of stories set in London, but it's kind of like the most authentic depiction of london i think i've ever seen in a game which is pretty astonishing because it's it like again it, it you know it's a small team they've opted for this quite broad art style but they've got like enough particular details like the kind of fabric texture on the seat of an underground train or like the name of a shop or the logo of like a fried chicken place it, it feels completely lived in and completely authentic yeah like um an interesting shout are you saying this is a more authentic portrayal of london matthew than uncharted 3's pub full of mitchell brothers with a little <laughs> sign saying pie and chips three pounds it, it captures the energy of being like the last person out of an office as well hmm. and then having to go home and take public transport and that sense of oh god you know it it really like from my O&M days in London the sense of when you leave the office and then you're out the door and you're into kind of like London itself which uh, unfair to say it's like bleak and oppressive but it's 
it's not like a relaxing environment necessarily. It's not a warm. It's not a warm environment. And the fact is that for a lot of people, like your pocket of warmth is your home. There, there's this sense of like getting in through the front door and like what a front door like means to you when you live in a big city. Not to be too wanky about it, but I think it, I think that stuff does matter, and it really gets that. It's really doing something like very kind of clever with that. You know, that it, it really feels that they've tapped into something which i think is super hard to to get into like if you compare it to the david cage games for example which are you know just everything in that world is just a cliche torn from a shit film that's a that's a bit harsh on all the other stuff those games do well though in terms of art direction and audio and stuff like those those worlds look and sound amazing i think the thing they're simulating is is artificial Mm -hmm. it's it's like they're 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 trying to recreate like genre beats where this isn't this is this is like real life bleeding into genre fiction and it's just way more effective because of that great stuff yeah i mean i, I actually think you um put it very eloquently there about the relationship between um you know what your what your home means to you when you're um, living in a in a city like that yeah so, uh, it's you know even if the game goes off the deep end and like fucks it in in the last act the supernatural stuff i kind of won't like it's kind of for me it's already kind of achieved enough yeah, it's done its job by capturing the sense of place. Yeah. 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 Ah, that's cool. Yeah, I will definitely play that for the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, it's on Game Pass, so people, if you've got that, give it a go. It's great. Yeah, and um, 12 Minutes is also coming to Game Pass for um, people mm. keeping on the Annapurna stuff. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. And um, Neo, the world ends with you, Matthew. So, um, one quick question about that. How do they do the combat when you don't have the... I assume you can't do any second playable character stuff, because obviously that original game was made for DS, and it made so much more sense on the DS than other formats. It's a completely different combat system, but it is built for playing on this hardware, which is you know why the DS game was great, and why all the subsequent ports of the original were less good, because they always were compromised. But this is... Um, yeah, this is something completely new. Basically, you have a party of, of characters, and each character has one of the badges, which is kind of their attack. The character that's kind of in play is the attack you're currently using. It's quite hard to explain without it sounding convoluted. Uh, (laughs) But it's quite straightforward when you're playing it. Yeah, if you just got to imagine, like, you're controlling one character, but that character, like, becomes the other characters when you use their attacks. And the whole combat system is built around, like, chaining together different moves. So, like, softening them up with one move, then hitting them with another move. So... It's almost about like the speed of attacks is what you're trying to balance across the four of them so that you've got a character who can kind of set the combo going, then another character who can do like quick damage to get in there and then quicker damage after that. So you're trying to kind of pile it up uh, as much damage as fast as possible. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And it does the thing which I loved in the original, which is it's got hundreds of collectible badges. Each one is a bespoke attack and it kind of feels sort of exciting it's like collecting football stickers or something it has that kind of collectible element but you also want every collectible because it is a entirely new attack and you just want to see what it's going to do and what that could mean for your tactics and things it's uh it's, it seems pretty great from the few hours i've played so yeah uh-huh. i should say thank you to square enix for sorting us out with a copy of that much appreciated they didn't send me one so i, I offer them no thanks whatsoever <laughs> um, i'm just joking of course uh, i'm amazed this game got made i mean they uh, square enix must really fucking love tetsuya nomura i guess but um it's cool yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to see that such a great ds classic got a um got yeah, a it's... second go yeah, good, good music. I'm digging the story. Um, it's actually making me want to replay the original because I don't remember a lot about it, and I feel like I probably should refresh myself. But um, so far, it's um, 
yeah, it's pretty stonking. Oh yeah, it's an immortal DS game. That it's um, fantastic. Um, so yes, good stuff, Matthew. I'm going to bundle two together myself for my next Ooh. entry. So I imagine that quite a lot of our listeners don't care about live service games and probably um, are very turned <laughs> off by the thought of them. So that's why I'm throwing these two together. So Apex Legends. I've been playing that again this year. We had about six months off um, while I kind of like put my life back together and played some open world games, and then um, came back to it. And in that time, actually, I played a bunch of GTA Online as well. So those are the two I want to discuss a little bit. So Ooh, okay. I'll start with GTA. So basically, we've done every every good thing you can do in GTA now. We've basically done. So the um, <laughs> if you don't know the history of the game, basically, in 2015, they added four, uh, five heists, actually. Heists that were kind of like, um, like single-player GTA missions, but you play them in co-op. If you've played the heists in GTA 5, they're kind of like those, but everyone has a different part. And um, we played through all of those again, and um, to be honest, found them a bit too elementary on a replay. They weren't that entertaining. They were like, they're the ultimate play them once and they'll blow you away that you can do. You don't see any of the kind of like um, big twists coming, and then as a group, you get to have this big collective kind of um, exciting moment where you get to the end and you all escape and you'll jump out of a helicopter and, you know, you've made a load of money and all that stuff. That's an experience that it it was enjoyable to do them again, but... um, I think there are limits on how exciting that can be to redo. So we actually ticked off two of the ones we hadn't done before, which is the Diamond Casino heist and the Doomsday heist. And the Doomsday heist is definitely the best one of the two. So um, basically, it, it involves you procuring a load of different sort of tools to use in the in the different um, bits of the heist, like a, a flying DeLorean, for example, in um, one of the best missions of the game, where you... Um, you basically you steal one of these like uh, flying DeLoreans, and then you you go um uh, you go along a runway, hit a button, and it starts like taking off, and then you go into the sky and shoot down a massive airplane to get some kind of like cargo and escape, and that's one of the best multiplayer missions Rockstar has ever designed. It's so much fun. Every GTA player mm. should um should experience that once. It's really really good, and it builds up to this like big big conclusion where you escape this underground base and like um take off in a jetpack across Los Santos and um towards your goal and that that felt really really good you um the whole um headquarters for that is like you have like this underground bunker basically where this very odious elon musk style character is um uh kind of talking to you and this is kind of ai that betrays you halfway through the heist and then the kind of like the final battle is basically up against the ai and this um yeah elon musk-esque figure so it's um story-wise it's not like up to much but it's all about the kind of set piecey stuff and the idea of a finale where you um you escape by jetpack is really really fun and um some of the other missions as well are quite exciting there's one where like these <laughs> they're these invisible dudes with chainsaws who um chainsaws sorry chain guns who turn up and um, they they kind of like uh, you kind of like turn up to this warehouse clear out all these enemies and these yeah these invisible dudes turn up behind you with chain guns and you have to take them out and that's like um a really intense mission the first time we played the doomsday heist we could not figure out how to beat these dudes this time we were mega leveled up with all these amazing weapons so we absolutely fucking rinsed them which was fun yeah, and nice. um tick that off that's like a, that's like an end game heist that one that's the thing i did want to ask about like you do have to be leveled up to do these things because i've tried playing some of the heists with like randoms as quite a low level character and it just we get destroyed and everyone gets cross at me for even attempting to play them yeah it's tough like um 
you can basically play them from like level five in the game but if you're not with other players it's just like such a fucking hassle um Mm. when we originally did it i think that phil was like level 20 or something and the rest of us were low level but we did all turn up to the first mission with like a pistol and no armor and like um (laughs) when you come back to it as a high level player you have like six pieces of armor you can equip and battle and like i've got some of the guns i've got in this game now i've got like um a chain gun laser I've got like a, a like a sort of like gravity pistol thing that knocks enemies flying, like a kind of physicsy fun gun. I've got like nice. the firework launcher. I've got like an automatic shotgun. I've got like you know a, a, a near complete army, a grenade launcher, and like that absolutely like makes it a lot more fun to go into a one of these uh, missions because you've got all this stuff and you can just lean on your own stuff to complete them. And it's true that if you're playing it as a low level player, it's just not as entertaining. Um, mm. So yeah, you definitely need to commit a little bit, and this. Endgame heist. I think it's recommended that you're like level 100 or 110 to play um, the Doomsday heist, and I think I'm at about that now, about level 100. So we managed to finish that. Then they added another one, which was a Diamond Casino heist. It sounds good going into a casino and robbing it. You think of Ocean's Eleven. It's actually one of the worst things I've ever played in a GTA game. Um, <laughs> good. You smuggle it. There's, a, I think there's a way to do it undercover, but we couldn't figure out what it was. I mean, we, you you get this gun. There's like a concrete based gun so that a metal detector doesn't pick it up and then the idea is he went to sneak down and then steal it but we couldn't figure out how to do that and the alarm went off every single time and we were getting into a (laughs) constantly repeating this firefight where all we had was this shitty concrete pistol (laughs) and like we did that over and over again and then eventually got to the end of it having lost like loads of the money that we were meant to be taking because we didn't have some items or whatever it's a really convoluted thing Getting to this really boring escape sequence where you have to run across this giant car park to an escape vehicle while being shot at. We failed that a couple of times. And then you have to then you have to get rid of the um, the cops who are chasing you. And we thought we had a really clever solution for this because we ran across this long car park. We all got in this car and we knew there was an underground tunnel where the AI would struggle to get underneath there. We thought, okay, we'll just hang out there. Then the co- we'll lose the cops and then we've done the mission. But the game doesn't want you to do that. This is where the collision of like... GTA being an open world game, but not really an open world game and how the missions are designed um, kind of like becomes a problem. So we waited in this tunnel. The cops um, ticked down. They were all gone. We were like, yeah, fuck yeah, we beat the system. We only had to like run away from these cops for about 30 seconds. Then we did it. Um, as soon as we left the tunnel, we were back on like six stars. And like oh. it transpired, the game just, just needs you to drive to the other side of the map on these motorbikes. And that's just what it's going to do. And it was such a slog. And that was like the last thing we really did in GTA Online because it just wasn't very fun. And... Um, yeah, it's just it's always testing your patience this game. It's like the most flawed successful online game there is. It just yeah. Yeah. But I often think this about Rockstar games in general. Like given how amazing and popular and successful they are, in terms of like user experience, particularly GTA Online, it's quite janky. Oh yeah. You know, to kind of to get your head around it. It's kind of really rubbing this quite obnoxiously janky experience in your face <laughs> and making billions doing it. So The open world experience of this game is just like, will I be trolled by this other player? There is a dude on a flying motorcycle above me while I'm trying to like make a delivery of like some cocaine <laughs> or whatever. Will he blow me up? Like in my my experience is in the hands of this absolute bellend who's called like, you know, <laughs> um a, a jock 69 or something like it's and that dude can just determine whether i have a good or bad experience like, i mean it's so true matthew and, and yet you keep coming back for more well it's only because i did we, we did want to see everything that heist had to offer because we knew that that was the best stuff rockstar was making 
But we didn't realise how bad that Diamond Casino heist would be. It really is terrible. Uh, just just an awful experience. And um, yeah, we've had we've had some good times in it, though. We, we definitely have enough money and stuff now that we can do a lot of the... We can feel a bit more dominant in the open world. I mean, you can't stop players from hacking the PC version of the game and nuking you from Orbit or wherever. So but... Now you can be the asshole on a flying motorbike deciding <laughs> whether or not to kill the beginner. <laughs> we do all have flying motorbikes, yeah. We have graduated <laughs> to that point. So that's enough about GTA Online. But yeah, it remains a fraught experience. So I'm just there thinking, again, I just wish someone would come along and make a clone of this game that's like 10 times better. Like you say, it feels like a... It feels like it's super hacked together, particularly the, a lot of the heavy lifting in this game is done with the interactions menu, um, which is like mm. you hold down a button and there's a fucking massive long list of stuff that's like summon your submarine, you know, call in a an airplane or whatever. And it's all this stuff that feels like very sort of steam early access to me and not nearly as fluid as the main game. So, mm. yeah, it's flawed. But I mean, it remains evergreen. It's just um, it's a bummer that it's like probably the only new GTA you're going to you're going to have um, to enjoy in for another three or four years. But we'll see. The other one then, Matthew, Apex Legends. I've gone back to this um, every season. They change one of the maps there are now three maps in the game and they add a new character. There's a new season creeping up as we as we um as we talk. This remains like my favorite multiplayer game by far. I mean, I just I'm actually surprised that pe- a lot of people my generation who loved Call of Duty 4, I'm surprised they didn't play this because it's just it's it's reasonably paced and like fair in a way that I think like you're not instantly being headshotted all the time. I think it's like a mm. really good person in their 30s multiplayer game. But um Right. <laughs> yeah. So the thing I love that they've added this season, they've um they uh there's a map called Olympus that they'd previously added. It's like this giant floating space station thing, like a kind of mass effect environment with all these kind of flat pack sci fi housing sort of facilities on it. Um mm. they added these <laughs> the bit of the bits they added, they added these like growing vines around it. Um there's like these two spaceships you can go and loot that are kind of like docked with this floating sort of space station thing. That's pretty cool. You go find a key, you open a door, and you get a load of loot in these um, rooms and get better armor and attachments and things for your guns. Uh, but the other cool thing they added is a boxing ring. So um, right. when you're in the boxing ring, you can't be shot at. There are these protective layers, but um, there is like there are like these loot boxes inside the boxing ring, and you can't fight, you can't use your guns in there. You, it's just lots of players punching each other trying to get the stuff and then run away with the best loot. That is like a really fun addition. That's the kind of dumb <laughs> bullshit I like in these games. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm enjoying both of those, but like um, yeah, Apex is just oh, it's just fantastic. The idea that a game this good is free just always kind of bewilders me. Um, mm. So I'm all in on the next one. They're, um, they're revising a, a kind of map that I really like, which is World's Edge. They're going to like um, knock down one of the more boring parts of the map and change it. It's funny though because World's Edge is the place that I. Um, it's like a volcano-y kind of environment. There's a big glacier as well. It's a very like fire and icy kind of uh, kind of place. It's like a city. There are mountains. It's like a, a vast open world basically. And mm. I am so I was so attached to the version of this that I played during lockdown last year. That when they change it now, it's like someone changing. Uh, like it's like someone like a pub. I love being like renovated and turned into flats or something. Like I get very <laughs> attached to certain bits of it and upset when they change it. And it's weird to have that attachment to a game space. But when you've dropped down on this place like four hundred times or whatever, like you just become very sort of aware of its whole deal. So um, there's my it's ramble. Like going back home to your childhood town. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. So that's my ramble about live service games, Matthew. Um, feel free to slice that down in the edit. Um, there's a lot of uh, talk there. <laughs> no, it's good. I, it's, uh, I don't play any of these things, so it's nice to have like a window on what's going on from you. 
Yeah, Apex is the one I think you would legit enjoy if you just like if we played it in pairs or something. I think you'd have a good time. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's just having the energy to like for it basically. But this is Apex is giving me the kind of like adrenaline rush that I'm not getting from games like Ghost of Tsushima. So um, yeah, right. that's um, that's why this game is um, part of my gaming life, I suppose. So um, Matthew, you got a few more, haven't you? I thought I'd just end with a little a little Nintendo roundup of Bowser's Fury, which is the expansion that comes with. Uh, Super Mario 3D World, uh, which I don't think we've spoken too much before. We did the Big Mario episode, but I hadn't actually played it at the time. This I I really liked. Probably my favourite bit of 3D World. You know, the concept of it is almost like a, a little open world, which then houses levels which could be standalone levels in 3D World, if that makes sense. So it's imagine like if you took... 12 levels from 3d world and just went these all have to exist in the same space so that you can like fall off one and then surf along some water to get to the next so it kind of takes things which are quite kind of abstract and turns them into a a, a, a quite a strange sort of 3d arena which i really really liked there was a, a sort of sense of sort of exploration to some of these like the the individual world chunks are kind of typical 3d world fare you know they're they're taking little bits of level furniture they've each got a concept you know panels that flip over or ice skating down a ramp or there's fire you have to dodge or, or whatever but just the novelty of having them kind of coexist so you know and then the kind of secrets that kind of hide in the gaps between them I thought was really, really neat. I wouldn't go overboard and say, this is what I want 3D Mario to be, which I saw some people say after their reviews, where they were like, I'd actually be happy if the next 3D Mario was was more like Bowser's Furious. I'd, I'd rather they carried on with like the Super Mario Odyssey, very large worlds packed with stuff. I, I still feel like these worlds are kind of easier to sort of exhaust I definitely dug it. It's a it's a great little you know three four extra hours of fun. I also wanted to say Paper Mario: uh, The Origami King, which came out last year. Um, I kind of avoided it because Paper Mario's gotten a bit rotten, or uh, maybe rotten's a bit unfair, but de- definitely w- had been quite uneven for a while. This I'm only about halfway through it. But it's absolutely superb. The art style, the kind of Mario universe built out of paper and origami you know it's been done before but this seems uh, like visually very very satisfying i love the variety of the levels um they do this great thing where each world is quite a sort of self-contained story and has little kind of characters and arcs that kind of play out over them um the kind of puzzles and the the the, the the way you kind of explore and unravel more of the environment is really satisfyingly done just feels massive like you know i feel like i've already seen like a game's worth of stuff and i'm only halfway through it really strange combat system which is about like swiveling this sort of uh, these sort of rings with the enemies on them to try and line the enemies up into formations that you can then attack all at once which should be quite gimmicky but like as a kind of puzzle combat game which paper mario always was it works really well absolutely banging soundtrack as well hmm. yeah good stuff i um, was surprised to learn that i own this game the other day um i uh oh, really <laughs> I, I, yeah i think i bought it at christmas last year and just forgot about it like it was maybe 30 quid or something so i thought oh yeah i'll just have that um what what is the um the whole deal with thousand year door matthew why are people obsessed with talking about that every time a new one comes out uh it's probably because they played it at like a, a sort of formative time you know when they were a kind of kid or whatever or, or it was their their first enca- encounter with these games like it is probably still the best one i mean maybe origami king is better um mm. i haven't finished it yet so i don't know i 
I think the the problem with Paper Mario is like you know they sort of nail it in one with Thousand Year Door. Like it, it's kind of everything a Paper Mario needs to be or ever need you know could ever need to be. As, as a concept, it's not like deep enough to sort of sustain as many entries as it's had, hmm. which is why they have to keep radically reinventing it. You know, everyone moans that they keep changing the combat system and coming up with these big gimmicks, but I think without them it would just feel like, oh, another thousand year door and you know, wouldn't wouldn't be as exciting as you think. I mean they these games do have to kind of sort of evolve or die. All that's like Nintendo's policy anyway. A thousand year door is is great, but have people replayed it recently? I don't know. It's on a bit of a pedestal. Locked away is this nostalgic favourite. It's very easy to sort of um put these things you haven't played for 20 years up on a pedestal yeah for my money this is every bit as charming and exciting and polished yeah i don't know i should probably mute thousand year deal on twitter it's people who complain about it never particularly interesting about it so (laughs) (laughs) okay good a nice uh, nice slam there it's like the breakable weapon crowd in zelda it's like (laughs) yeah all right whatever sure yeah they're going on oh it's this this again They're going on Matthew Castle's shit list along with the um, the uh, Bath Uni students outside Jace's kitchen giving him assault. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. I'm not going to be. I'm, I'm not going to fight all the people who like thousands. <laughs> you know. There'll be a lot of them. Yeah, um, but I think you'll be able to physically overcome most of them. But um, anyway, uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, a couple of good recommendations there, Matthew. Actually, when I was playing Odyssey, I had a bit of the feeling of the what you described with um, with uh, Bowser's Fury there, where it's like I, it does feel like a bunch of 3d mario levels coexisting i'm thinking more specifically about that desert early on where it's like yeah uh, there's just kind of like a bunch of levels sort of hovering together here and like i can just go poke around in them but um, yeah i guess there is there is a bit of that i think there are other better levels i'm not a massive fan of that desert level i, I must admit because it's mostly just boring sand <laughs> yeah um, yeah i wasn't a big fan actually yeah, <laughs> so like that's why that's the risk of it it's it's kind of what you stick between the levels just tends to, you know, in Bowser's Fury, it's it's just water. So you just ride that little dinosaur guy around. Oh, um, yeah. Nessie. Which is fine, but it's not, like, thrilling in and of itself. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Well, then I'll end on uh, two old games that I've been playing via Game Pass and Matthew. So um, Mirror's Edge is a game that I finished again this year. Um, I've not played it for about 10 years. I thought it was it was one of those games that I um I've gone to bat for. I think I had it pretty high up in my list of the best games of 2008. So I thought I'd kind of revisit it and see how I still feel about it. Um, honestly, I think it's still beautiful looking. Um, it was very bold for the time, this first-person parkour game. But it is super frustrating to revisit when you don't have the kind of like muscle memory that you used to have for it. So right. I, I when I played this game, I played through it once on normal. Then I played through it again on um easy so i could do it without using guns and then i played it again on hard just to kind of finish it on hard and in that journey of like mastery felt really really good and i think that is the magic of the game it's not about doing one playthrough necessarily it's about kind of getting used to how the um platforming hand holding and all that stuff kind of works and 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 like getting really good and and sort of like doing these sort of speed runs through levels um Mm. So to revisit it once, 10 years, without that kind of like skill set 
like readily available. I must admit, I found like the constant deaths a little bit frustrating. So um, mm. I think this is just the price of revisiting old games, Matthew. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes when we're doing when we're doing those list episodes, obviously we don't have time to revisit all these games. It's nice to just it is nice to put games on a pedestal, like you say, and then just like remember them as they were, because you know you can't expect games to do the heavy lifting of like uh, staying as good uh, as good like ten plus years later. So I think that's fine. That that's my relationship with the, with that. Um, a pleasant mm. surprise. I was meant to play uh, Last Stop um, because I saw you had it on your list for this episode. Uh, didn't. Ended up playing Crimson Skies on uh, Xbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this was, you know, I've seen people talk about this on Twitter. I remember that when they announced uh, backwards compatibility with the original Xbox on the Xbox One at E3, I think they used footage from this game to be like, ooh, look, uh, look it's this old classic from yesteryear. But they just added it to Game Pass. Really, really enjoying it. It's like I've played about like five levels of it. I did. I got back on Friday night. I was absolutely wiped, and I thought I'll just put this on, see what it's like. And it's just, you know, this kind of like rogue squadron esque fly around right. and just shoot down. You know, have these dog fights and and um, in this in this kind of steampunky sort of environment in these steampunky planes. Uh, did you ever play this one, Matthew? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, after the fact, um, I think when they bought the Xbox games to yeah Xbox One, I we we played it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I thought this was really good fun. You're right, totally like Rogue Squadron or um, what was the PS2 one? Starfighter. Yeah, yeah, Jedi Starfighter. Yeah, like that kind of arcadey, quite simple, quite easy to kind of get a tr- get into the tricks of it. But you know, there is just something very fun about shooting down a rival plane and seeing like smoke come out of their engine. Um, it's got like a fun sort of Uncharted Daring Do kind of vibe to it as well. Yeah, that sort of like um, matinee uh, sort of sky mm. captain and the world of tomorrow kind of thing. Yeah, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun. It always surprises me actually whenever they talk about like Xbox series people want to see come back or like you know th- you know when are you going to do Battle Toads or Perfect Dark or whatever. Um, that like I would actually play like a really kick ass Crimson Skies. I think that would rule. I but... think Phil Spencer really digs this game. I think and this um, yeah. this studio Fasa that made it that was kind of like mishandled by Microsoft. He's big into those. Um, yeah, I think this dates quite well because people don't make games like this anymore. So, mm. you know, it's not like there are loads of like contemporaries to really sort of like put against this. So, um, yeah, I love a good, um, you know, sort of like third person sort of like dogfighting game. This does it really well because the AI is quite good. I think that um, it's actually a better combat game than Rogue Leader is, for example. Rogue Leader is all about like um, TIE fighters doing these like big arcs and squadrons around you so there's like there's always like a three TIE fighters flying off to the left or the right and you're kind of always right. about like you're always pitching yourself against that in this like enemies will like fly directly towards you and then like spin around you and then um, you know they, they don't travel in squads so you've got you kind of like it's a bit harder to um, outmaneuver them necessarily and um, you have to be a bit more conscious of like you know if you're being if you're damaged you have to go sort of like land and repair and stuff it's a bit I don't want to say open worldy, but it's certainly hub levelly. I would say, um, mm. yeah, it's really good. But um, yeah, if you it got Game Pass, it's apparently only eight hours long. So I think I will probably finish this, which I think is miraculous from a game for a game from two thousand three that I've never played before. Yeah. So um, yeah, good stuff. So yeah, Matthew, we have wrapped up this episode. Then this very gentle episode of just talking about some computer games on the back page. So mm, it was nice. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we needed a bit of like a low energy, just sort of you know what's going on kind of thing um so yeah. yeah i've enjoyed that especially because next week is probably going to be a bit more intense isn't it with the um the ps2 mini draft so yeah yeah so just to kind of lay out the premise of that one to get people excited about it 
me and Matthew are going to hypothetically come up with what a PS2 Mini would be. Basically selecting um, from the um, a range of genres uh, 20 games to make up this PS2 Mini. We will select 10 games each and people will vote on who's got the best games. So there's a competitive element to it. Like with the game developer draft episode, we, we each take it in turns. So it's um, it really is a competition to see who can get the best stuff. Ooh. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed uh, the little the, the sort of planning process for that, Matthew. Have you thought about it much yet? Yeah, definitely. I've been I've been I've been thinking quite philosophically about like what's the best game and what's specifically the best PlayStation Two game. Um, what is the innate quality of PlayStation Two that I'm trying to tap into? Uh, this isn't my natural territory, which makes it a bit spicier. Um, but I'm determined to win one of these drafts, so. <laughs> Hopefully, I, I won't uh, come up with an absolute absolute dud. I think some we, of the genres are tough. <laughs> I, I think we have to do like this is like a way turf for you and home turf for me. So I think we yeah. have to do one that's like the opposite in the future as well. So we'll yeah. pick a console. Maybe the Wii would be a good fit for this. I don't know, but um, yeah, let's. Um, I look forward to that. But in the meantime, Matthew, we've only got we've got two listener questions here, so we'll just fire through those. Um, mm. This one's from Simon Thompson, who is a long time listener of the PC Gaming UK podcast as well. Uh, and uh, general uh, nice guy on Twitter. So, both of you are in charge of rival theme parks inspired by your favourite video <laughs> games. What would be inside and who's his best? Do you have an answer for this, Matthew? So I was trying to think of like rides that could like mimic the games. Mm-hmm. I-, I was thinking like a roller coaster based on uh, in Forza and Forza Horizon. You have that mechanic where you can rewind time if you like mess up a corner. <laughs> right. So I was thinking like a roller coaster, like like. It's it's a pretty normal looking roller coaster, but on certain gnarly bends, it like constantly like goes backwards and then forwards and then backwards and then forwards <laughs> to kind of like recreate the, the the sensation of doing that, which uh, might just give everyone whiplash and get me sued. <laughs> um, to which I say, join the queue behind Randy Newman. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's fine i was just thinking like you know you get those test the strength things where you hit the hammer on the thing and it goes up and hits the bell and maybe that's a bit more carnival than euro disney (laughs) but um a kind of ace attorney version of that where instead of hitting that thing on the floor you're having to bang the defense stand with your two palms and if you bang it like hard enough like an actor dressed as a, a you know a witness from one of those games falls into a pool of water or something um <laughs> catherine said it should be the gavel the judge's gavel which is probably a better fit but i'm uh, sticking to my guns on this one <laughs> oh, there you go catherine really is the uh sort of um the secret source to this podcast that people don't know about I, 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 I test all these things on her and then she's like i'd do this instead <laughs> <laughs> i sort of my partner has no interest in hearing about anything that we do on this <laughs> podcast and i respect that so um i, I yeah. don't know if catherine has any interest but so just <laughs> she politely puts up with it yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Good stuff. Yeah. I um I thought about this. So I thought the um the cool thing would be to have like um recreate the gold saucer from Final Fantasy VII as a real theme park. Um, oh, it could have a better answer. It's not. It's not bad. Is it? You could have like the arcade bit where like you know the the, the <laughs> snowboarding and stuff. You could go on a very awkward date with Barrett on those little kind of like um gondola things. Uh, <laughs> that'd be right. There'd be an inexplicable haunted house there. Um. Yeah, I don't think it's got anything really exciting going in terms of roller coasters and stuff, though. So I actually slightly prefer your one. I like the idea of a roller coaster. Oh, I don't know. This always happens, is that I go first with some bullshit, and then you do something (laughs) that's good that everyone actually wants to do. So it's kind of like, would you rather go to 
an amazing recreation of one of the most iconic theme parks in all of video games, <laughs> Golden Saucer? Or do you want to sit on a roller coaster whose main selling point is that it's going to horribly reverse around corners <laughs> over and over again until you're probably hurt? <laughs> so, just yeah. a disaster. I mean, yeah, I, uh, I actually had no idea to what extent you would even engage with this question, so I thought you might just come in and go, Dairy Milk, and that would be it. <laughs> Dairy Milkgate. Listen, I, I I was so hot when we were trying to come up with answers to those questions. Oh, dude, we were so... I mean, that's the thing. Like, the the last two podcasts, to anyone listening, if we sound low energy, we were absolutely fucking fried. Like, my my intestines <laughs> were turning against me because I was, like, horrifically dehydrated from the, um, from the sun. And I was just there trying to talk about, you know, this fucking made-up handheld. Like, that's the real, like rigorous behind the scenes of this podcast if we if it's not under 20 degrees we're completely fucked that's just how it is uh, uh the only other thing i thought for my theme park was it was gonna be a bit more like a resort like you're a disney and i thought all my hotels would be famous hotels from hitman series oh so you could, st- so you could stay in like the bangkok hotel or you could stay in the spa from hokkaido and maybe there'd be actors around the hotel who like recreate like famous murders and accidents from the games for your entertainment you could do the manor from hitman 3 as well the murder mystery oh yeah that'd be good um you could go you, and at night you could go to that nightclub um where there's oh, just okay. like where, where like you're on the dance floor then suddenly a light gets pushed off and like electrocutes a dude or something yeah it'd be fun uh, yeah i like that that's good that's a good suggestion i think but yeah I, i'm afraid i picked a very specific a very kind of like um basic uh basic bitch one there um with the gold saucer but people do like it so um <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, maybe it'll do. Um, Final Fantasy is always a very predictable answer for me. And uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the last question of Matthew is uh, Hi, Samuel. Matthew, just a quick note with two thoughts. He says it's a quick note, but it's actually like four paragraphs. So um, I, w- <laughs> I would argue not that quick, but nonetheless. Um, just a quick note with two thoughts. The first is that I love the podcast. It has kept me company on many of the long walks that 2020 and 2021 have involved in lieu of anything more exciting to do. And it has made me want to visit the famous meat tent. Jesus Christ, we've, we've quite a mythology with that one, Matthew. Um, thank you for your kind words there. So, the second is to wonder whether there is an episode in an idea that came up at the start of the Zelda episode where Matthew talks about the differences between Breath of the World and the more linear games that came before it. I tend to be in the side of finding you can go anywhere to be a daunting phrase rather than an exciting one. I want to go everywhere, but often I find it overwhelming. But are there games that manage to balance it right? That's the question. For instance, yeah. I think the Batman questions probably get it right. Lots to do, but relatively confined, and also with a strong story structure. Horizon Zero Dawn, which I'm currently playing, has me hooked too, because I want to find out more about the world. There is a reason to explore it, and it gets doled out in chunks. On the other hand, I got lost somewhere between GTA 3, which I loved, and GTA 4, and the introduction of so many, brackets, largely non-optional side activities, particularly when enforced early on. No, I do not want to play dress up with Nico Bellic. I've barely got past the first hour of GTA five. But how does that balance work? What's the right mix of hand holding and letting you off the leash? Um so yes, that's um from Richard B and who says thanks again for the enormous enjoyment I've had listening to the podcast. Thank you very much for your question. So the question, Matthew, is about how much to what extent should open world games be allowed to overwhelm you? I think some of this is subjective, but there are some recurring problems with the genre. What do you think? A, like, open worlds aren't just, like, a single sort of genre. Like, within that, there's, you know, like, GTA... What GTA's trying to do is is very, like, different to, you know, what Zelda's trying to do. It's tricky, because, like, for, for me, you know, what I like in open world is a sort of sense of exploration, a sense of discovery. Um, and that isn't necessarily, like, part of the fantasy of, 
of like every character. You know, like Batman isn't famous for like exploring. You know, he's famous for like, character rich interactions you know he's always doing stuff he's fighting or he's investigating a scene or whatever and just kind of getting between it i wouldn't say like the fantasy of batman is is necessarily just sort of like roaming around so in that sense like the scale of like the batman world makes perfect sense because it's kind of like big enough to feel like this kind of turf you're exploring and this is turf you kind of you know that you're taking care of but it, it isn't so big that it kind of verges into that kind of exploration where with zelda that is key, you know, or, or at least in Breath of the Wild, like the tone of that adventure supports that scale. So I, like, I don't think there is like a middle, like a, a, a sweet spot. I think there are sweet spots for like individual characters and games within it. Sorry, it's mm. a bit of a flaky answer. <laughs> no, I agree with you. If there's, I don't like these um, overly kind of like feature heavy open world games. So I'm not big into settlement stuff in open world games. Like, I don't like having to manage something else while I'm exploring. Like, I like just being able to explore. Mm. I didn't engage that stuff in Fallout 4. I, I like just being able to kind of go out there and, and, and explore. And I, I think that um, exploration does matter in the Batman games because there are so many Easter eggs buried in those worlds. Like, um, yeah, you know, you... maybe I'm thinking, like, a, a wider, expo- you know, maybe, like, Breath of the Wild has just blown out, like, my kind of scale of, like, what the scale of exploration can be. Yeah, to some people, I think um, as well, like um, people would find Breath of the Wild's openness a bit daunting. Like the, mm. the fact that there are these, you know, four key locations you can go to straight away that are like, you know, the obvious big story beats in the game. And then obviously mm. there is this one final story beat that you go do on your own. But you can look at, you know, the kind of like the volcanic area and, you know, the sort of icy mountains and the desert. And you can probably, you could probably feel overwhelmed by that. And I think that, yeah. um, you know, that's depends on the player really whereas some people probably quite like the a more sort of handholdy uh sort of nature to their ex- open world experiences i would say gta 5 is actually fairly straightforward to get your head around it's it's sort of like you know there are three playable characters but the story is quite straightforward it very slowly rolls out you know the sort of difficulty and the weapons and things like that it doesn't have yeah. people po- it doesn't have loads of twats calling you to hang out like gta 4 does um yeah, yeah, but I guess it still wants you to play it very much on its own terms. Yeah, to That's begin true. with, definitely. Like it's it's it, you know you're forced and you know, the first thing you do in that world isn't you're not just free to do whatever you want. Like you have to do something it wants you to do. Yes, yeah, same with Red Dead Redemption Two, right? Where it's like you know yeah it, it doesn't... yeah. I mean that's. That's the Rockstar's whole deal, really. Yeah, it's like it is open world, but on their terms. And it's always been like this when GTA 3 released, obviously, like um, you had that first island to explore, but it waited till it keep it in the story to give you the next part of the island to explore. And um, and then and San Andreas would do the same thing with the three different cities. So, yeah, I wonder if there's like a difference to be made between developers who use that the open world is like a tool in the wider thing they're trying to do and game developers where the open world like is the reason for being the earlier open world games they were just they they were a lot more like open world for the they were just the reason for being was like here's a huge thing you get to explore this is going to appeal to you and i actually found it more interesting as people tried to do like authored content in open worlds and how that changed it and it, it was more like the open world became the background for something that was a bit more kind of guided and i definitely like both i think there's room for both hmm. yeah i think there could be more interesting ones than there are like there could be more yeah. interesting ways to kind of get closer to that breath of the wild style but i agree that like um both have a place we'll talk about 
both these games in coming um, best games of 2009-2011 podcasts. But like, um, I, I'm quite curious to talk about the um, how Mafia 2 and L.A. Noir, for example, are fundamentally set in an open world but they are like film sets basically to more authored content but that still has mm. a that still has a place and still yeah invokes something in you as a player and they both benefit from the fact that they don't have maps like covered in open world icons and so you think of it less like a game and more like a it's just it's just the world around you and you sort of like detach from the box ticking experience that a lot of modern open world games have so um yeah, I'll look forward to talking about those in more detail. Mm. But I agree with Matthew; they both have a place. So, mm. good stuff, Matthew. Well, we've um, let's wrap this episode up then. So, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Mr Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W Roberts on Twitter, and you can follow the podcast at Backpage Pod on Twitter. You can also email us questions to read out on this podcast at backpagegames at gmail dot com. So, uh, yes, like I say, next week we'll be back with the PS2 mini draft. That should be fun. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review we get helps us find new listeners. So we really appreciate your support on that front. But um, thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Bye for now. Bye for now.